Welcome to Mecha Nations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast where we seek to abolish the aristocracy, dismantle the financial conglomerates, and also allude to Shakespeare. I'm Ignis Maddox, joined as always by my co-host PMC Trilogy. PMC, we're we're here at the at the end of all things. No, not quite. We're 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 at the penultimate of our Code Geass coverage episodes. That's that's right, right? I fuck that up all the time. Well, yeah, For, no, it's the penultimate because you know, yeah, today yeah, we'll yeah, be yeah, covering yeah. Uh, twenty two and twenty three, which means that, uh, of course, next week will be twenty four and twenty five. Right, right, right. Okay, so yes, we'll we'll. This is our second to last. Before we do, we will be doing a postmortem. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, there was kind of a call to action for emails. We've already gotten some, which are great, but we're always looking for more. So if you have a question or have a thought, or if you just kind of want to say something at us, we'll shout you out on, on their postmortem. If you want to send us an email at mechanationspod at gmail.com, or uh, maybe we'll, we could just have people tweet a thread after we post n- not this week's episode, but next week week's episode, right? Yeah, because that, that would be the final. Right, yeah. so yeah. So again, you know, when this releases a week from the release will be our coverage of 24, uh, 20, yeah, 24 and 25, and that's probably the best time. You know, I'm, I'm sure there will be thoughts about right. uh, how they wrap up the season, mm. uh, and, uh, you know, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there for the, the postmortem and mailbag. You're right, right. Sounds good. So before we we jump into our our coverage for the week, we we typically we we catch up. PMC, I feel like you have been in old stomping ground. Well, kinda, I guess. I guess your old stomping grounds is really just cause two and three, but uh, just cause one, I guess, not as much. Uh, but tell tell us about just cause one. Yeah, so I ended up returning to this. So this was kind of a thing where just cause three, you know, had been very successful for me at AGDQ twenty twenty one. That's right. And it put me in mind of revisiting uh, some of the other Just Cause games. You mentioned uh, that Just Cause 2 and 3 were the games that got me into the series casually. Right. Uh, I had played Just Cause 1 in like 2010 when I played Just Cause 2. It didn't really make too much of an impression. Coming back to it as a speedrun game, uh, it's a little bit of a different creature just because the structure... So Just Cause 2, 3, and 4 all have things to do in order to unlock further story missions. And and two, it's chaos points. And three, it's liberating provinces. And four, it's kind of a mix of the two. I don't want to get into four system is messy. It's weird. But the point Mm. is, one doesn't have that. One is just, what if you were to looking for the simplest just cause speedrun to learn, it would be one because you can basically just go through the whole game. Uh, I had briefly run one back in uh, 2018. I think like I picked up in like the spring summer, did it like a marathon or two, mm. uh, and left it from there. I, I had improved the like the, the record by like about 10 minutes, and then you know moved on to something else. Uh, cool. In the intervening time period, uh, someone else uh, in improved it a little bit without really without really using all the tricks or or just doing better tech. Mm. I, you know, it was the second game I had speed run, so I, I don't I think. Coming back to it now, I, I looked at my speedrun.com profile and I have like speedrun like thirty different games at this point. Um, and so wait, re- I, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, yeah, that's it. Crazy to me. I'm things sorry. Got go out ahead. Of hand. Things got yeah. out of hand. Like once, once the, I think I don't know what it was after Just Cause One. Things just kind of got really, really bizarre. It's just uh, it's it's. I've been following. It's fine. Whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's funny. I I, I counted because my if you had asked me, I would have said twenty, and then I counted, and it was like nah, thirty dog. I would have guessed. I would have said like fifteen. I yeah. wouldn't have said even twenty. I wouldn't have gone uh, above that. 
Man, that just goes to show. Yeah. What is time? What is time? But anyway, so it was a situation where I came back to it with you know that additional experience, that knowledge of how to practice, how to learn, mm-hmm. how to look for new tricks. Uh, you know, going. I also had the benefit of more speed friends. Uh, you know, some people watching along with me when I was uh, starting runs were like, "Hey, have you thought more about this or this?" And they wouldn't necessarily know it because they weren't playing the game themselves. But right, that intuition pointed me towards things that I, I then found myself that were time saves. Uh, and so, uh, and, you know, I think this, the past weekend, I was able to uh, get a new new record time. And, uh, and I'm probably going to keep pushing at it. It's certainly, there were still some major mistakes, still some things that didn't quite execute. I, at one yeah. point, I did, I accidentally beached a boat for like, <laughs> that lost me like 55 seconds. Kind of embarrassing. Oh, boats are bad. Boats are bad. Um, but you know, besides that, it's just kind of fun. Uh, it's prompted me to continue looking at more just cause stuff. I I've started taking notes once again on, on just cause two stuff and, um, and you know, and we'll, we'll see where things go, but it's fun. It's fun to feel like that you, you become proficient at a skill broadly Mm. and that you come back, like if you're playing music and and you come back to a, like a song that you remember having difficulty with. Now it's just like, Oh, I could just do this easy. Like I don't even even have to practice this. I can just read this and and I'm there. Um, and just kind of fun to see that apply to something that even seems like it would be, um, like you, you would think like, Oh, well it's gotta be really a game specific skill. And there, sure there are game specific skills, but some things are broad. Right. Yeah, I mean, just to relate that back to some game-specific skills, like the, I feel like when it comes to fighting games, there's kind of a split when it comes to whether or not you want to keep the, I don't know, old-school-style command system where you're, you're doing a gesture and then, you know, light punch, heavy punch, medium punch, what have you, um, versus, like, you know, there's, there's kind of this n- newer sort of trend of the like simplified kind of fighting game not not like your simple controls for marvel 3 or dbz dbfc or whatever but like uh what was that um oh R- uh, rising thunder rising have? thunder the yeah the yeah. castilian game yeah yeah the castilian game that's right um there's another one too like a fantasy fighter that that has a system like that i don't remember what it's called but um yeah there's a you know, if for me, in my experience, like it, uh, it was difficult to do dragon punches from a certain side. I think it was the left side I had trouble with. I don't, I can't remember anymore because I figured this out eventually. Um, but you know that that motion can be a little bit awkward if you're not used to doing that. I mean, and I play pad, so I'm, I don't have a stick that I'm using here. I'm, I'm doing it on a, you know, in this case, a PlayStation Four pad. Uh, but once you figured that out, once you whatever you 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 know mentally need to do to adjust that dexterity to actually accomplish that, uh, that that just works forever. Suddenly, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, yep. like you might have trouble in old old fighting games where the execution is extremely tight, where it will not let you get away with like some games nowadays. To, just to get very specific and esoteric, like you can just kind of like mash diagonally down forward two times and the game will be like yeah, sure yeah that sure like that's, a yeah, that's a dragon punch why not <laughs> uh but yeah um other than the progress that you've made with jc1 and probably how you're going to to continue to pursue it was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh the only thing i i wanted to give a, a warning to my future self uh, I'm going to be starting a casual play of a game called psychotoxic which is an obscure, I think, 2006 or 2007 first-person shooter. Uh, and it seems real 
real like dark and edgy in that mid two thousands way. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know, I'm saying this now because this is what I believe is going to happen to me. We'll probably come back to this next week, and we'll see how my life turned out. Yeah, psychotoxic, kiss kissay. That's that's just where my mind went. You're not wrong. Um, no, uh, but hopefully you're, it is not misery. Hopefully you, you have a good time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a first-person shooter, so I feel like there's, like, a certain level, you know, just, uh, like, I'm familiar with how that works out, like, how, yeah. like, you know, competency in that. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see We'll see where things... Let me give you the, the cover here so I can just channel oh, no. to you the energy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. This is a poster that has been in a basement for, for like, 19 years. Yeah, like, it really has that that, like... Early, the like mid two thousands ATI graphics card mascot yeah, energy. That, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> uh, it looks like this is one of the stars of J- Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> um. Uh. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So as far as the, did you pass the Marin stick to me? Is that yes? Please. We, okay. I was about to say, Ignis. Yeah. Please tell us. Tell us about your your expertise. What you're broadly practiced in. Oh great! Yeah, what a what a what a fucking send off for me. But um, I guess I do have a trophy in this particular. I do I, I do have oh, a yes yes yeah a uh, a trophy for this next subject. Uh, I have a famous picture <laughs> from that trophy. Maybe the greatest picture of all time. Um, so uh, over last week, I want to say it was was it Friday night? I think yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, Netflix has been doing some kind of insane. 10 million anime deal thing. I think they have like 40 or 60 titles coming out this year. Where Something- does it come from? Do we know? I, have, oh, I like, haven't really looked into this. That's one of my biggest concerns is that like on one hand, I love it when artists get paid, but there's like so much Netflix anime. <laughs> I don't know well, like, where, it's, where it's coming it, from. Especially these guys. Who, so um, the, this show that we're talking about is the the Dota Two anime, uh, the a uh, adaptation of the Dota Two Valve Steam game called Dota Dragon's Blood. Now, uh, if if uh, you are a listener and you are unfamiliar with Dota, but you know, you probably know MOBAs. You probably know League of Legends or Smite, maybe, or that might be it. I think now that's uh, that, that's about it. Um, but, uh, Dota is kind of the granddaddy of them all where the, it was the, uh, initial, I mean, I guess you could, no, I think Dota, Dota would be the originator because, I think you uh, could say we, Dota, I, you can mention things that are related like Aeon of Strife and Starcraft and stuff like that, but that's like what Dota I was gonna is the say. real thing. Yeah. Dota's well, the thing. Like, Cause Aeon of Strife might have been like the originator of the like structure, right? And even then... I feel like what you have with Dota, let me let me back up. So in in StarCraft and Warcraft 3, you could not only queue for ranked regular matches of of just regular ass Warcraft 3 or Star Trek Star Trek StarCraft um but you could also uh load up the custom lobby menu and and join customized games that people had set up with the map creator tools that came with games back in the day when developers just let you do that. Uh, And a lot of them were just like adaptations of whatever was popular. So it was like a Dragon Ball Z 
game where, you know, or uh, Jurassic Park was a big one for Warcraft 3 for us. Uh, uh, but the most popular one of all, without a doubt, would be Defense of the Ancients, which is a, a lot like Counter-Strike. It is one of those games that couldn't possibly have been made by, like, a company trying to make money. Does that make sense? PMC, when, like, when I say that, like, what I mean by that is that, like, almost everything about it is about its gameplay and not necessarily trying to appease a market of any kind, right? Like, no, I, I think would... that, that's absolutely right because I, I think one of the things, too, is that it's amazing that it existed because. I think its its mode of gameplay was was ahead of its time, and when I when, when I'm talking about the times, I mean how people played games, especially online. Mm. Uh, you know, I think any of the games that are around, even if they had competitive leagues or were a five v five format, any of that, you could also play those games online on dedicated servers, like you know we would have been doing. But right. Dota, there was no alternative, right? You were right. looking for a five v five match, and that was a lot of work. To make that yeah. happen, yeah. it was so. It, some nights were difficult. You needed to pull out all the stops. You needed three exclamation marks. You needed at least two equal smileys. Oh yeah, no equal uh, yeah. smiley. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we, Discord. I, I tried to use the DM our DM that we have open to to put in the equal smiley, but of course it automatically formatted it as a smiley. It's as an emoji of some kind. It's yeah. miserable. No one would join this Dota game. No one would join <laughs> no this Dota game. So in any case, this is a, it's a deeply esoteric deeply sort of niche game within a game that is already pretty niche. RTS games were, you know, popular on PC and nowhere else, you know. And what you ended up with was a really deeply dedicated uh, player base who were interested in the game and its, like, competitive integrity. Now, let me be very clear here. This is not a compliment because Dota players are the the most miserable trash on the internet and and i know I, again let me hold up my 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 trophy for yeah, winning dota <laughs> I, he's showing me a dota trophy every time he talks about holding a trophy it is a, a trophy with a dota logo on it and you know when when and where the scene of the crime was yes <laughs> in any case my I, I dota 2 is a game that i have a lot of familiarity with i don't play it that much anymore because I feel like a I, I do feel like a wiener saying this, but the the amount that you need to do uh, and the amount that your team is depending on you in my old age now makes me shaky and physically feel bad in a way that is difficult for me to cope with. Sometimes I'm just fine and I can deal. Sometimes I'm I really am like, well, I need to go lay down now <laughs> because my blood pressure is fucked. But I love Dota. I love the game. I, I think, in, in my opinion, it is the finest online competitive game. Um, I, I just feel like in, in all its iterations, it is the closest to being like a, a fair game that you can get. I would compare it mostly to chess. If you don't know how it works, um, there is a pool of uh, shit zillion heroes. I, I don't know like 200 or something i don't know i'm not asking you pmc i know you don't know <laughs> like, uh, yeah I, I i had like a few back when i played dota one dota two is 
far beyond me at this point. Yeah. You, know? you you also had a Dota history for sure, but mm. but yours ended. I want to say when you went off to college, right? Pretty I want to say yeah, that was the, like the, I think first semester of college, I still stuck around with it, and then and then I ended up you know finding the the social group I guess I was destined for, and that kind of you know the immediate, the immediacy of human beings right there tends to occupy your attention when they're when you're yeah. when you're living among them, understandably so. That makes sense. Well, so you, there's a, a large pool of heroes, and the idea is you pick one of these heroes, and that hero performs a role of some kind, and sometimes this can be like the classic fantasy tr- trio of like tank or DPS or healer. Dota isn't really that straightforward. There aren't really that many characters who are straightforward healers, per se, but a lot of the times your role will, will depend or denote how much gold you're going to be getting for that game. So, for example, if... You have a position one hero, let's say Terrorblade for no reason at all, uh, then that hero is expected to be farming for the most amount of the game, and you want to be keeping them safe so that you can get the most amount of gold. The goal is your team will work together in order to push your opponent's base, take their throne, quote-unquote, or I guess nowadays it's ancient, I don't know. Um, and uh, that's how you win the game. And it's it's a long-term sort of, like, chess soccer fighting game thing overwatch owes a lot to this genre of game i you know i don't want to say that it's dota specific because by the time overwatch was out like league of legends was out and Mm -hmm, probably i would say there's a more direct line to league of legends uh, and overwatch than dota and overwatch like this is all to say dota doesn't really have a plot per se uh you know the guys at and gals and others at at uh, valve have definitely been writing up little stories and little sort of dramas and things that interact within you know flavor text for items or you know descriptions of monsters that you find in the jungle or you know descriptions for abilities that tell you a bit of the history of the characters there isn't really something you play out where that tells you you know their motivations or how they interact like all that stuff can be found in the game through like barks like if you know um uh pmc do you remember lena the slayer who was the fire kind yeah, of mage yeah. lady? she was the was lena inverse was that yes was, yes. yes okay that is an anime reference right. i don't know if you know the the series slayers, slayers but that yep. she's a reference to that her sister in the game is crystal maiden uh, and so there'll be interactions if there are opponents or if they're on the same team, something like that. And that can tell you about the game, but there isn't really like a story mode. So this show, to get to what, what we were talking about, uh, is the first kind of like story-based Dota anything. Uh, there are comics, right, that, that uh, Valve has released that are like, you know, very much in the, the tradition of like, you know, Team Fortress or something like that, where, like, they are story comics and they are entertaining, but they're definitely, like, one-shots or flimsy or, you know, kind of surface level. They're there for gags, right? They're not bad. They're just not a story, you know? This show, Dragon's Blood, focuses on uh, Davian the Dragon Knight. Uh, do you... Uh, PMC, what do you remember about Dragon Knight, if anything? Uh, Dragon Knight, uh, he was kind of a... St- I remember him being, like, you know pretty standard physical attacking sort of character and i think his ult was that he turns into a dragon that is correct so he was a strength hero Uh, he has a fire breath he has a single target stun that gains some range when he's a dragon and then he has a passive that increases his armor and his regen 
and then he turns into a dragon. And each dragon form, it can do different things. Green dragon, it hurts buildings more. Red dragon has a splash damage, and blue dragon can slow with its with its ranged attack, which in Dota is very strong. Uh, there's an item, the, the Eye of Scotty, that gives your uh, uh, attack a slowing effect. Anyway, it stars Davian and also Mirana, the Priestess of the Moon, who I actually I think in Dota 2 is called the Princess of the Moon because... Okay, so uh, because Dota started in Warcraft 3, a lot of its heroes are... Uh, were Warcraft characters, right? So there was a hero named um, the Prophet, whose name is uh, Furion, and that's just Malfurion Stormrage from Warcraft 3. And, you know, I just mentioned Crystal Maiden, and Crystal Maiden was just Jaina Proudmoore, and, you know, there was all sorts of uh, heroes that were direct references to stuff from Warcraft 3, like uh, Obsidian Destroyer or something Yeah, the one I remember was Skeleton King got changed. Yes, skeleton. Well, so that one got. That changed. was also part of another thing, though, right? Right. That was China stuff, where yeah. uh, skeletons, uh, the depictions of skeletons in China. So they, he was turned into Wraith King. Although now he can be Skeleton King once again. Uh, they they added an Arcana that allows him to be Skeleton King. But like Anti Mage's uh, Illidan and and Terrorblade, who I mentioned previously, was just scary Illidan. You know, big time <laughs> Illidan. <laughs> um. So uh, this show is a not a plot from the game. It is taking elements that uh, definitely existed in the game, but there there's nothing here from the game itself. It's eight episodes, and it was done by Studio Mir, who I think are the um, what was that show? That Netflix show that the uh, some of the Avatar people did. Dra- oh, Dragon, um, Dra- Dragon Prince, Dragon no. Prince. Yes, I think it's the same people. Okay, I think so. Let me check. Do 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 do. I didn't check for the mirror. The uh, Marin never do 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 do. Okay, so yes, uh, they did Legend of Korra. Oh, Boondocks. Okay, uh, Dota Dragon's Blood, Kipo, and the Age of Wonder Beasts, which I know people like. Uh, Death of Superman movie, <laughs> Rip Superman, uh, and uh, Mortal Kombat Legend Scorpion's Revenge. So yeah, you know, these were not the Dragon Prince people. Then I lied. They were the Legend of Korra people, which you know. Uh, I could see uh, there's some big old shoulders and arms in this show. Um, but it's it's eight episodes. I would compare it a lot to the first season of Castlevania, where it is not the whole story here. So it's it's hard for me to be like, it is like full thumbs up or full thumbs down. It's definitely setting up for stuff later. Sure. But the stuff that's there is fun. You know, like I, if you if you like a fantasy, uh, you know, if you like a dragons, especially a lot of cool dragon stuff in this. Tony Todd is a voice of a dragon, and he's great. Uh, Tony Todd, I don't know PMC. Uh, oh, you know what? He was adult Jake in the uh, one episode of DS Nine, uh, the Visitor. Uh, yes, right, and right, he's, right. he's he's also Worf's brother. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's the guy who plays Worf's brother. But mostly he's known for playing Candyman, I'm pretty sure. I think it's his most most uh, famous role. Uh, but he's been doing stuff for a long time, and he's great in this show. Mm-hmm. Invoker is also one of the primary characters. Do you remember Invoker, PMC? Was Invoker the one that could, like, download abilities from other people? Yes. Okay. Well, so um, the the character you're thinking of is probably Rubik, who can uh, steal okay, people's yeah, yeah, spells. Yeah. But in, what Invoker could do, he had Orbeez that floated around his head because he was originally Kael'thas from Warcraft 3. Um, but you could change the element of those Orbeez with Q, W, and E. And depending on the combination of Q, W, and E you have set up, if you hit R, you'll give yourself a different spell. So the deal with Invoker is that he is a wizard who knows every spell. So 
<laughs> he's one of the, you know, important primary characters in the show. And he has a really interesting deal with his daughter, which is very fun. Um, you know, if you're, I wouldn't recommend it if you're someone who really wants like a fully formed story. It's not there. Um, hopefully they'll get to do a season two and hopefully more of this stuff will pay off. And the other thing I will say is that there are bits and pieces that are written with a lot of sincerity uh, and passion. And those bits and pieces are not the parts where people need to interact on some kind of human level. <laughs> like the kind of moment to moment interactions are, are you'll tilt your head a little bit, but sometimes a dragon will say that um, violence is like a kindness in the shadow of my rage. And I'll be like, yes, 10 mm. out of 10 perfect show. Um, it's not really dependent on Dota things. Like, you don't need to know, like, this was kind of my the reason for my preamble. Like, there's no story in Dota, so there isn't, like, there's stuff you'll pick up. You'll see a thing, you'll be like, oh, a gem of true sight, I know how that works. And, you know, you'll hear a character's name, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. That's why they can shoot moon lasers, because their name is Luna, and I remember Luna. But, like, it's not the sort of thing where you'll be totally lost. The, the show lets you know what's going on, and it's not... You know, it's got big, dumb fantasy ideas, but the the story in it is not all that complicated. It's fun. I, I feel I should mention, like, I heard from other people that the animation bothered them, uh, like that it was choppy in places. And, it bo- and like, I really, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like too cool for school PMC, but like, I, I didn't really notice, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's not the sort of thing that I have, uh, you know, it, I, I, it's probably not the best. I don't know. It's hard for me to complain about animation these these days anyway i've been going off about dota for a while here so uh it might be time it well, might be finally time i wanted to give you the opportunity for a perfect segue because i think you said that isn't uh isn't dk voiced by yuri lowenthal that is yes. correct <laughs> there you that go. is correct so yuri, yuri lowenthal, lowenthal hmm, the dragon right. knight uh he is uh now the the knight of zero yeah the dragon uh, as knight we, of zero as we uh he's gonna <laughs> He's gonna clean up the the the, uh, the other rounds real quick. Uh, that's uh, that's gonna be in our next episode. Why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, I don't know. Turn over. Why don't we summon? Why don't we hide in the bunker of turn twenty two, uh, Emperor Lelouch? Your Majesty, won't you let me analyze that power just a little bit for science, of course? Do you want to die, Lloyd? You mean in the traditional sense? Ridiculous. Jeremiah Gottwald returns from battle to announce that he has vanquished former Earl Rosencruz. Well done. Now that Emperor Lelouch has taken over Britannia, he's going to do some redecorating. He has abolished the aristocracy, geased the military, and released Japan from Britannian control. In one sentence, kind of (laughs) off-screen? And he intends on joining the UFN. Lelouch and Suzaku are able to emphasize their control by eliminating an attempted attack by the Knights of the Round. Suzaku easily dispatches them all with the aid of the Lancelot Albion and his weaponized Geath state. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Privately, Lelouch and Suzaku reflect on their grand scheme and how its long-term goal is to wipe the memory of Euphemia's massacre from collective thought. How they intend to do that remains ominously unsaid. Everyone questions what Lelouch's long game is, except for Tamaki, assuming there's no way he's showing up here in good faith. And you know what? Turns out they're right. Lelouch came to the UFN to distract everyone in order to invade with his forces slash kidnap the UFN administrators. It's going okay until he learns that the capital has been attacked. 
the, his capital, the Britannian capital, to be specific. It seems to have been flayed, which can only mean one thing. Schneisel. Schneisel has finished the Damocles, a weapon he's been teeing up for episodes now, but his technological terror is not his last trump card, for he reveals Nunnally is alive after all. Alright, so 22. 22, let's, let's start with a surprising, or I think might be surprising for people to hear uh, off the bat for Ignis, Ignis Maddox. Uh, I enjoyed episode 22. Uh, I think episode 22, I was expecting to be much more mad um, at the, you know, what, what would be going on in this episode. And, and it turns out that my my mad was mostly going to be for episode 23. But, but PMC, what a, off the dome, do you, do you feel like you have a bird's eye view sort of thought you want to share before we get into the nitty gritty? I think my bird's eye view for 22 is that uh, I think 22 picks up some of the things that we had enjoyed, for example, about 19 in terms of having things pay off. And it incorporates one of the major plot points of 21. Charles was defeated. Lelouch is the new emperor, mm. uh, and 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 kind of rolls that into some of what had been had been accomplished successfully before. Uh, but you know there are, there are lots of of breaks in the armor, uh, and you know with twenty one so fresh in our rearview mirror, it's I think harder to avoid looking away, which is why I would still say something like nineteen was a much stronger episode than this one. But I think twenty two is, you know, for. <laughs> For for the times, I I I was willing to take twenty two. I would say, okay. So you liked it? Yeah, mostly? I think I think I I think I I liked it because it I liked it because it it plays out things. It it, it pays off some things that we knew were going to happen, uh, and then also I think gives some characters uh, a little space to breathe and and wonder aloud about things. Is that wondering aloud always productive? Eh, but. I still think it's the right thing to do in the episode after, you know, where you just offed one of your major antagonists. Yeah. So what's interesting to me about 22, is it this one? Yeah. Um, is that we are now kind of in a place where we have a flip side of the stuff that I didn't like about 21, which was the, or, or the new state of things after 21, which was that the emotional landscape is, is just all fucked up. Like if you have any investment in a character whose name is not Lelouch or Suzaku, the 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 state of things is really really difficult. It's hard for me to really get a grasp on what they were intending people to take away if they weren't in on the Lelouch Suzaku whatever the fuck it is. And and I want to be clear, like this is part of the reason I'm enjoying this as much as I am is because the. The emotional landscape is so confusing that now there isn't enough time to stop and wonder why the characters are willing to take this step if, you know, based off of who they were in previous episodes, right? There just isn't enough time. So, like, just off the top of what I'm talking about here, there there isn't the time, really, to delve into whether or not Lelouch doing this to his family and the entire state of Britannia is good or bad. There's there there just isn't the time. There it really just it doesn't, you know, and and listen, I'm not saying that it's impossible for the audience to come to their own decision about that. I just think it's interesting that the show doesn't care, right? And like it's it's definitely truly doesn't care because 
the victims of this are going to be ultimately more victimized. I don't care what Schneisel says, more victimized by being obliterated next episode, <laughs> you know? So it, it's, it's on the, on one hand, like it definitely is bad that Lelouch is as bad as his dad now. Right. Like from a like story perspective, I, I think that there are very few payoffs this could have. Uh, let me, I don't want to say that. The, I'm curious to see how they feel they can pay this off reasonably where now uh, Lelouch has seemed to, you know, cross a final sort of moral line that I don't really know now emotionally as an audience member. If I'm not like, you know, oh, this is the, the final form of Lelouch. This is what he's just been pushed to. And now we're just going to watch it all crumble around him, which, you know, that could be something, right? Um, Especially with uh, Suzaku at his side, that would be especially tragic, right? Because finally mm, now, right, he finally has... together, and what what they were supposed to accomplish anything if they were together, and and now it, it, what's yeah, going to happen? Right, and and so now you know, uh, I guess since we're here and we're a podcast and we're a critical analysis one at that, or at least we claim to be, uh, we we can think about this a little bit. Like, did you have uh, uh you know, a, a reaction to Lelouch's plan here? His his just it's super maskius and basically just kind of reemploy the entire royalty and aristocracy like i mean it's one of those things i I think what's interesting about it is and 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 part of maybe why i'm enjoying it is that it is the like everyone at this point everyone everyone left on the stage like maybe except for like two characters or whoever has has officially admitted all right look my means my means they suck they're terrible (laughs) they're garbage but have you thought about the ends? But consider. <laughs> and Have Lelouch, you seen these ends? Yeah. And so, but what Lelouch is doing, which is, I think, fascinating, is that, like, he's doing a lot of this in very, like, plain view. Right. And getting everyone to cheer for him. <laughs> or there's, like, you know, some people are still skeptical. Like, we, we, we view the, uh, this uh, initial perception of Lelouch's actions through the lens of the Black Knights hanging out. And they're like, oh, the people love him. They're calling him the emperor for justice. And you have like Jean Kay and Toto who are like, all right, but hear me out. Brain blasting people is is not great. You know, this is not really a a meaningful foundation. But nevertheless, Luch is somehow still working these things out. Um, And I would contrast that, you know, with, with Schneisel, who's just kind of out here, you know, engaged in old fashioned lying and misrepresentation and very old world uh you know privileged pr it's interesting how and and like part of this is because lelouch is basically destroying the old infrastructure that charles had set up but it's interesting how the show is taking the time to talk about like public opinion of lelouch because that never mattered for charles (laughs) you know we never talked about like how everyone because it didn't seem like everyone hated charles it seems like at least from the perspectives we were shown that people were just kind of like resolved to the state of ruling but rule by the Britannian class. Like we never really, this is part of the kind of issue we'll probably be talking about more with the black Knights is that like, because of the storytelling decisions of the show and the way that it centers specific characters and not other specific characters, the, the other side characters kind of get this who I don't want to say laissez faire, but like 
kind of they're they are are slaves to wherever the the wind of the plot is blowing them right and and they have no interiority or agency it is it is just that they are kind of these and and like you know this is sort of the chess thing they're trying to do but also critique they're also say that that's bad but also the show just does it right which is this idea that you know there are this is the thing that about Code Geass. Uh, there are particular people who are smart and they matter and they have agency and they make decisions uh, and they get to remember things. And there are characters who don't. And the the pattern of who, you know, is allowed to be smart and m- make decisions and be effective and who isn't. Like, if you if we drew up a list, it's like, Lelouch and Schneisel, who are royalty, right? Who are the main characters. And then we have Janka, who isn't royalty directly, but he work in the system that he works for, he's very high up. Mm-hmm. He's a royal guard. Like for he sure, might yeah. as well be. You know? Uh Suzaku was a knight of the round for a long time, and even before he was that, he was a personal guard to a princess. Uh, you know, the these are the people who in this show are allowed to be like smart and effective and intelligent. And this kind of pattern with this stuff, who boy, it's it's one of those things that makes Code Geass tough, right? Because it really wants to be, it really wants to play in the space, right? Of like, look at all these actors who are on this world stage and how they are interacting with each other with their masks and their lack of masks and what have you. Um, and look who wins and look who loses. And the thing that that is just like, true about all these cases is that like oh there are these just specialer people who you know and whether they have a geas or they were born in the britannian royal family and uh, they're just extra sociopathic you know as we're you know maybe we'll come to learn or you know in the case of cornelia she she just owns i guess you know um even suzaku is not just some guy he was the son of the prime minister of Japan. You it's know? true. Like, it's true. He is. He like, is from uh, effectively, you know, some sort of uh, privileged ruling class. Right. So it's and and the thing that I'm I'm trying to get to here is that part of what is working for me in 22 is that the state of things is such and the pace of it is such that I don't really have time to think about how the specifics are frustrating. Right. So the start of this is is mostly just showing us the luch is like. Uh, fuck Britannia, fuck my dad's house, fuck my dad's body and my grandpa's body and all that shit. We're burning it all down. Quant Su, dude, you know, I'm dismantling the aristocracy. We see, like, Odysseus and Guinevere and shit, like, redeployed as, like, janitors or something. Yeah, well, um, that's just interesting to see. I I, I, I have to assume we're never going to see those characters again. That, that's got to be the end of them. I mean, they got blown up. <laughs> like, they, they, they got fucking flayed. Oh, were they were in Pendragon? I guess they must have been in Pendragon, right? They, I, I mean, I would assume. Yeah, like, that's I, a good I assumption. Don't know. I wasn't even thinking of that. I wouldn't know where else they would be if not the mm-hmm. capital, right? I mean, unless they they're, they work at McDonald's now or something, or McDonald's. McDonald's, me, right? Me. So the the start here, uh, we it's interesting that Cecile and Lawyer here. Like, I get <laughs> it. Really is funny like, though. Like Suzaku must have brought them, right? Basically, yeah. that's the long and short is that they they came with Suzaku, but they really kind of feel out of their element, and you can tell 
that that they are because Lloyd keeps acting like a, a, a goober man. He keeps doing his his you know thing. At least in the sub, I I don't know how Liam does it in the dub. It, it, I um, feel like Liam kind of is like, <laughs> like that's how he like when Jeremiah shows up in the audience in the beginning. Like oh yes, <laughs> and it's like oh I. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Jeremiah does. He kind of he does like excuse, um, because he does make an offer. I don't even know what he would. He's a robot man. What was he gonna learn from Lelouch's Gias? Like some magic shit? Like I don't know. It's, make, it, it's all midichlorians Is what he's gonna learn? Is that? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's fine. Whatever. He's science. It's, it could be like the uh, classic sort of Star Trek. Like if you're a science person, like all science works for you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we learn, you know, that Rivals and Millie are hiding Nina in the basement because she is an international war criminal now, which, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) I I don't know what to say to that because, uh, I don't know where this is all going. We've talked about this before, but like, with Nina, it's so hard to predict because it, none of the elements really line up, you know? Like, it is it, it is weird to see this character with her, her Gucci tracksuit in this current state when, you know, the the thing that, that she's been well known for, not the table coon thing, I mean the bomb thing, um, <laughs> is, is, like... Something that I, I don't understand still where her emotional reaction came from. I, it just feels, it doesn't feel well thought out. It feels contrived, right? It feels like, you know, she just never, it never occurred to her that a bomb that blows things up would in fact blow things up. Yeah, I don't know. PMC, did you have any thoughts about the Secret Nina? Secret Nina, I mean, this seems to be, in terms of putting one foot in front of the other, seems to be the next point from where they positioned her, you know, post-initial mm. Flea explosion, which is which is fine. I feel like in this episode, I, you know, I, I remain skeptical. I feel like, I'm, you know, in terms of what you just said, it doesn't really necessarily follow in terms of why would she have this reaction now, you know, right. after having expressed so many thoughts about, you know, an overwhelming desire to attack Zero, uh, no th- sympathy at all for the Japanese, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think the one thing I can say is that I'm I am glad that she is in this episode that, so that she can be a a uh, accomplice to the incredible displays of heroism by Rivals, who is the a real champion who just does all sorts of things and like really probably shouldn't get off the way he does. <laughs> I was almost certain he was dead in this, and in, in I, I was like, "Wow, well, Rivals, you made it to twenty-two. You, you did Congrats. pretty good." Yeah, like, like you, you, the show for some reason has more respect for. Well, that's not true. I know exactly why the show has more respect for you than Shirley. Um, but anyway, uh, we also get now we get to see um, Suzaku's uh, new cool arms, his new uh, sleeves, the gun, suns out, guns out. Uh, Lancelot outfit. There, as he discusses, I like it. Yeah, it's it's he, good. It works. I, I think he looks good. Yeah, it's like his stupid little um cape. He's got like a dumb little cape behind him. It looks good. He looks cool. Um, Emperor Luch is fine. He looks like um, he looks like a Fire Emblem bishop. You know, when you up- upgrade a priest into a bishop, he looks like that. Um, that's not bad. That's fine. Um, we're talking about some Xenogears stuff. You know, they're being cryptic with uh, about some of the things. They're like, ah, yes, the Zero Requiem. 
Yeah, mm. I mean, it's just it's it's hard right now because I, throughout, you know, we already talked a little bit about this about the the, the evil means and, and Lelouch and Suzaku themselves, it, you know, freely admit the means are evil, and I think that was you know that's part of a Suzaku's arc right now is that he is crossed from this insistence on on that his means you know obey certain rules to sort of accepting this uh you know current current situation and for them to speak about it in cryptic terms when you know our our other party doesn't really waste time talking in cryptic terms it's kind of i don't know i i'm just it's i'm very impatient for it because i (laughs) i feel like i could i feel like we could better evaluate where they are mentally as characters to relate to them if we were like okay this is these are your ends but you know as you just said they're they're engaging in in Zenigir's level dialogue that it's we don't really it's it, we can't evaluate it to what extent we could evaluate it right i mean from what i could i mean okay so if i had to guess from right here from where i am without having read fucking anything it feels like they're trying to set lelouch up as a bad man of mm-hmm. some kind a uh, trace kushinata yeah it Hula seems like war. that's what yeah, it seems like they're trying to do kind of like a like a reverse Lorelina, where do you remember when the the fucking rich people what were they called the r- 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 they're not the, I almost said Romanovs that's not right no no that's, the Romafeller Foundation yeah Romafeller Foundation yeah. that's right when the Romafellers were like why don't we hire Relina to be our spokesperson that can't backfire and then it backfired on them mm-hmm. and in in fucking what's his name sat in a room wondering why it backfired on it so bad like this feels like kind of like they're teeing up the reverse of that where uh, they're gonna make Luluch out to be a super villain of some kind. Do you remember when, like 10 million years ago, when Lelouch decided to kidnap the Empress, uh, the Empress Chansha to Chansey? I've been saying that incredibly badly for the past, like, uh, uh, however long the Empress of China has been a character. And I deeply apologize for it, but I'm going to keep trying and I'm sorry. Uh, but the, the Empress of China, uh, she really, you remember she was being married to mm-hmm. um, Odysseus and Lelouch decided to kidnap her for unclear reasons that remain unclear and will now never be clear. Uh, this feels like the opposite. Like, they're doing that, but for a good reason this time, possibly. Which is to say, like, we're going to turn everyone against me and it's like a Dr. Manhattan, right? Like, they're going to do, like, a, let's, a space squid, except the squid is Lelouch <laughs> in this case. <laughs> they're going to drop Lelouch in Madison Square Garden. And it's going to cause a big explosion. That's right. So, um, the leech gets a phone call, uh, and the phone call is from. Oh, by the way, look, did you see um Lloyd's weird like riding outfit? Oh, that like was his... incredible. I-, I thought he was sharp. Yeah, he looks good. He's got a bit of um, he's got a bit of tiny head syndrome in that outfit, but that's I think that's just clamp. So they- he gets a call, and the the knights of the round are invading, um, and uh, uh, there were what's left of them, right? So we've got. Uh, two ladies who I, I don't know if we ever formally introduced to. <laughs> I, I had um, a really funny story from watching it with my partner where, so I, I think when the battle goes off, um, one of them who we never, I don't think we ever got the name of, like the Knight of Nine or something, she gets deleted. And then right after that, uh, Monica Krushevsky, the Knight of Twelve, who we were briefly told the name of because she was the person watching the Emperor's flagship right. during the, the showdown on Kamenei Island. Right. And I was like, oh, that's that's Monica Krzyzewski. 
And my partner is like, how the hell do you know that? Like, I'm like, well, they, they told us last episode. They briefly introduced her. <laughs> they, like, they just said the name in passing. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have to collect them all. I can't I can't help myself. Like, you got to get all the knights of the round. So uh, the, the Lancelot Albion has finally been revealed. Uh, it is... I think it's interesting how is this version of it, which we've seen in the intro before, um, how it has the twin uh, green goop uh, lasers. I forget what they're called. Had Hadron something? Hagron something? Maybe Hadron. I thought I was like Hadron was the red ones, but maybe this put the red and green. Maybe Hadron yeah. just Christmas. I don't remember. But in any case, um, is this one especially with its wings being the way it is? I I wonder if there's any wing zero DNA going on with the mm. Lancelot Albion. Um, I'm not saying it has to be. Like obviously, you could arrive at this design any number of ways. Um, but, uh, you know, this this continues the trend we've seen with the Code Geass mechs kind of getting more surface area, more filigree, but kind of boiling down to a more sleek humanoid shape. You know, like if I saw this thing and I think you've mentioned this about the Lancelot before. Mm-hmm. If I saw this thing, I would say this is a high level Digimon. This yes. is a mega level Digimon of some kind. This is achieved a high level or fused with Omnimon. That is that is the vo- the the vibe I get from the Lancelot Albion. It is it is finally kind of interesting to be able to watch the Lancelot and be like, cool, I'm having fun, cool mech scene. This is yeah. I mean, no, this is the Lancelot unleashed here, and we're all we're all here for it. It's it's you know, on one hand, it it's pretty cool. He definitely does kick ass. On the other hand, though, it is also a a like. We don't get to see very much, right? He kind of just, like, he deletes the First Lady, who is never named, unfortunately. Or at least as far as I can tell. Um, we see his wingdings are weapons in ways that I don't I don't actually think the, the Guren's flight system is a weapon in the same way. Or at least we didn't see it used that way. Mm. Um, and then we also see he has uh, the ability to deal with uh, the... What are those? Harkin? Are those yeah, what those I are love called? the way that he breaks the Harkins. It's just, yeah, man. It's like a very men. It's like the kind of thing where you have like a like a stalker villain coming after you, and you keep throwing things at them, and they just keep grabbing those things and breaking them and like throwing right. them away. It's that same kind of energy. So uh, when he comes up against Bismarck in the uh, Galahad, uh, we finally get the reveal of his his eye thingy, which was a Gius. Uh, you know, okay. Can, do you have a theory, Ignis, about the uh, what, why, and the what of his eye being closed? Because it looked like it was electrified. Like, did he have like a circuit <laughs> that well, opened the eye? It made me think of um, in Hunter Hunter when uh, you attach Nen to like an object. When you when you look really closely, it looks like circuitry. Right. Mm. Like, do you remember when Wing he he put that little band on Gon so that if Gon tried to use his end, the band would break. Like, if when they took a look at that, there was like a little circuitry. I just imagined that like this was some kind of like sealed kind of ordeal where like oh, if we use these jade, you know, seals, it, it will keep the Gius closed and he can, he can, you know, just kind of maneuver normally and people don't know he has a Gius. Um, I, I just kind of flavored it. I, I wasn't really, <laughs> you know, 
Um, but yeah, I, I agree that it is a cool flourish. You know, it is. A, it's a shame that he doesn't really get to accomplish much with it. I think this was the reason why I had Wing Zero on the mind because his Gs is the Zero system, basically. You know, yeah. um, and and like. All right, so do you want? Do you have any thoughts about um, Suzaku's new um, superpowered form that his his Gius now counts as a parent or Gius state? I want to be clear: he has no Gius; he's just been Gius. I, I don't, I don't. Okay, I, I don't know. I know that we're not sticklers. We do not need there to be strict rules. No, on how Gius works. No. But this is very stretchy at this point. The idea <laughs> that, um, that like, because part of it too, I, and I didn't even notice the first time I watched it. It isn't just a matter like. But previously on Common Island, we talked about how, uh, the uh, Suzaku's Gius was behaving like Spidey sense. It was yep, like, yep, oh yep. my, my Gius is telling me to do this. Da-da-da-da. And now it seems to have become like a, a sort of Super Saiyan state. Where, it, but like Luch gives him like a little pat on the back, like "Hey, brother, live." Um, you know, like uh, or like Ni- Ni- Naomi at the end of Metal Gear Solid, "Live, Snake," and Suzaku responds to that by by you know entering into the mode. And I understand there's some proximity to a life threatening situation. Bismarck and the Galahad are worthy foes, certainly, mm. but you know the Albion pretty good, and I do wonder to what extent. You know when he when he um, underworld slices uh, the uh, that's the movie right underworld is that what the movie yeah. where the guy gets sliced in okay when he underworld slices Bismarck uh, that's kind of I, I like how related was that really and, and and maybe it was I don't know maybe being compelled to live means you you have to win that and it is a superpower but uh, it's definitely stretching it in a direction I did not anticipate and and left me more stunned by its usage than necessarily wow cool action. Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought up the fight um, on the ground because it's it was clear that that fight was very heavily weighted towards Bismarck, right? That mm-hmm. that Suzaku wasn't going to win. Like that was the whole like deal with his Gius going off, right? Um, and I I suppose that fight is was meant to tee us up for this one where the tables have just turned so thoroughly, and this was kind of why I don't like as much when the victory in the mech combat really just has to do with having the better machine now, you know, mm-hmm. because there, there could have been something here to like, uh, Gist Suzaku and his will to live and how that has transformed his curse into some kind of, cause that's like Suzaku's whole thing, right? Is that like, no matter what, he has this ability to transform the worst case scenario for him into something that he can he can thrive in, right? Mm-hmm. Like that seems to be his curse, quote unquote. But it, it doesn't really. Uh, it happens too quick. <laughs> There's too much stuff to do in this episode, so it's it's not really like it's fun to see the Lancelot Albion. It's cool. It, it's I think it can be emotionally satisfying to watch any character just be like dominant. Um, I think that because Suzaku is a frustrating character emotionally and like the bird's eye view sort of sense, it's still kind of hard to be 100% on board here, even though we don't care. Like the only character we could give one fuck about here is, is intern Gino and intern Gino is fine. You know, they like, he very clearly seems to have picked up the half, the two halves of Excalibur, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cause they definitely leave that 
uh, 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 you know, sort of that shot in your mind when, when this action scene ends. And, you know, the Lancelot Albion has a lot of cool shots. But uh, it, it's it's hard for me to, to say I like it much more than the Gurren. You know, it, it kind of... And, and I think if Steven Hero were here, I wonder if he would think that it lacks, like, character, like, soul. You know, like, if it's a little bit too, like modern contemporary kind of like cool you know like the way it's it's uh uh uh, mostly person with armor sort of thing you know anyway it was a fine scene he clears out the rounds yeah i think if i were to you know provide any further commentary on the albion uh i i think it is it is moved on from my complaints about the uh the conquista and 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 its iterations and is now, you know, I think for this kind of thing too, I like that it is more symmetrical. I think that helps set it apart from the current iteration of the Gurn, which, you know, the Gurn remains very asymmetrical because of the priority on its right arm. Right. And, um, you know, so I think that, you know, setting these two up as still being the chief rivals uh, continues to be fun. I, I think that's always the thing when you're, you're, iterating and bringing in new versions you want to you know be able to compare and contrast your your chief rivals and i think that's something that we still have i think you know the gurn and the albion and the lancelot albion are able to sort of uh look at each other and and you know square off so what we get now the next half of this episode is kind of checking in on every base essentially right like we're we're going to check and see how the Black Knights are handling Lelouch's actions and how Lelouch has firmly taken control of Britannia. Uh, poor dumb Tamaki. Uh, you know, um, we're going to see Schneisel and Cornelia discussing some things. Uh, uh, everyone's being real cryptic in this episode so that we don't jump to uh, uh, conclusions. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're we're trying to keep the, the real reveal of this episode behind our backs, right? Lelouch arrives at... I want to get here because this is your... There is a witch uh, uh, demon conversation, uh, which is how I think of the these sorts of interactions between C2 and, and Lelouch, where mm-hmm. they're, they're, they joke about democracy. Um, you know, it's it's them just being like The people love democracy, don't they? <laughs> wink, kind <of> wink. Fun. <laughs> this is that thing I was trying to get at where... It's it's harder for me to be mad at this flavor of Lelouch because I think this is a more honest interpretation of the character than there has been thus far. I think this is where he's always been kind of comfortable, you know, uh, especially here where he has to just pretend to not have any or I guess actually that's next episode. Never mind. Um, that is in the next episode's conversation. So they arrive in Japan. Uh, they they announce that the I forgot to mention this in the the summary, but uh, the UFN meeting where they're going to try and petition to join the UFN. He he declares that it's going to be held. I don't know why he gets to choose um, at the Ashford Academy, right? That at his high school, which is <laughs> PMC. Do, would you would you go back to your high school to to announce your as when you're emperor of half the world to announce that you'd like to join the rest of the world because I I wouldn't <laughs> well only if I had plans for my oh. boyfriend to trash it with his mech right that's fair that's right that's you got to keep fair, that yeah. in mind that's completely fair uh so Lelouch arrives here he's very popular he's kind of making a big splashy entrance. 
Um, and uh, who who should who should be here? But uh, but poor dumb Falstaff. Uh, I mean Revolt. Do you P- PMC? I posted this in the chat. I'm not here to call you out. I'm, this is not a call. If you don't know, <laughs> do you know Henry Hen- the Henriad Henry the Fourth? Do you do you know? No, are you I, I, with know any you, of those? I know you posted, but I'm not familiar with it. Okay, so basically, uh, long story short, it is about different kings of England, basically, right? And and the different struggles of each individual king. Uh, in TNG, Data played Hal, who was the the young prince uh, that the the portion that I posted in in Machinations chat is referencing. And at this portion of the play, uh, young Prince Hal has fully accepted his his kingship. Uh, and he he is greeted by Falstaff, who is a famous Shakespearean like character. He is mm-hmm. a comedic sort of like nowadays he'd be played by Jack Black. You know he's he is he is fun and kind of a scoundrel, and you know he is he is very lol clumpy of the the Shakespearean characters. Uh, and here King Henry pretends to not know him, and he has basically the most like brutal of all. Sort of like fuck off. I don't know you. You're annoying me. You're some old man. Um, he has this great, um, like, uh, like you know, so old and so profane. But being awaked, I so despise my dream. Uh, and that's where I feel like they are invoking this energy here with Rivals, who who jumps the fence to try and ask Lelouch a question. Um, but Lelouch just doesn't doesn't regard him at all and uh rivals almost gets beat to death by some uh black knights it looks like aren't these guys black knights in- yeah i mean I, I i guess the idea is is that i mean the black knights are the security force of the un so of ufn right. so i guess that just everyone wears the black knights outfit uh, here because presumably it is the ufn that's running security so that makes sense right. i think yeah because they've got the um visors so they don't they aren't guessable mm-hmm. um you know we we hear from uh, Kaguya and some of the others that their Gias defenses are are you know they're trying to shore that up. Um, and Lelouch he's greeted by Kalen uh, and he requests that they kind of go the long way around. And I I don't really know. I guess this was this is could probably be like stalling so that Suzaku could get into position or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I I initially expected this to be some kind of character beat. Right, where maybe Lelouch would something, anything, you know. Um, but where this happens instead is it gives kind of Kalen the opportunity to reflect that the the whole state of affairs is directly related to Lelouch. And, mm-hmm. you know, despite how things have worked out, like the, the only way this current situation could have possibly arrived is, is because of Lelouch. Um, and she brings up the first episode in the Shinjuku ghetto when his commands were, were able to win the day and how she was proud to be needed by Zero and, and how she's kind of not lost, but confused about what where exactly everything is at now. And that all this stuff feels honest and good. Uh, and I even I like this moment where he isn't able to say anything to her. I usually find this kind of thing frustrating. Like, I think this is kind of a cop-out. Like, a character can find something to say. You know, that silence can be a little bit hacky, I think, sometimes. But I think here they earn it, and and it communicates something honest between them, even if I don't know what it is yet, right? Like, I have my guesses. I, I feel like Requiem 
definitely has some implications, you know? Um, and you, you play a Requiem for Zero, and you would only do that in a particular context. Right. You're, you know? Yeah, you're not going to give someone... You know, We already had the situation before where, where you know, Luch tried to kind of push Colin forward and say, like, you know, go live your life. And, you know, it feels like here he's he's trying to keep to that because he's stuck to the plan. But he also... I, I think you're right in, in describing it as uh, maybe earned silence because... I think maybe, all right, I'm going to give a little more credit, but sometimes listening is a good thing to do. And I think that's the thing that he can give to Colin in this situation without breaking from his path. And also maybe he's stalling, you know. Well, so for me, the thing, the main thing I want to emphasize here is not like earned silence, like Kalen has done something to earn silence or that Lelouch has done something to earn mm-hmm. the silence. What I mean by that is that dramatically, the way that these characters are not communicating verbally. They're communicating through looks. They're communicating through the reaction uh, to the kiss. Uh, it's it to me is an honest uh, interpretation of not being able to communicate something important, but it all being done non-verbally. I don't think it, the main thing I want to stress is that it's not hack. And I feel mm-hmm. like I understand the vibe of what they're trying to communicate, if not anything specific. Um, I don't know. Did it work for you on that level or not really? No, I, I mean, I, I think it. I think it did. I, I think. Um, I think where the episode was going, Lelouch was never going to say anything, and but the scene was still effective without Lelouch well, saying. So what I mean is like, so when when she's asking him his questions and she like kisses him suddenly, did you have, did you have a reaction to that? Did you feel like there was like. A I mean, good or bad or I think well so I think I had maybe I I had good good and bad. I mean certainly this has been a part of Colin's thoughts about Lelouch. And so, you know, it, it's it is a part of the character. I think one thing and this you know, also gets into a subsequent scene, it's kind of interesting to look back on a moment from earlier in R two when we had this sort of the the harem vibe of uh, you know, Kaguya and Colin and C2, and to, and to see where we stand now, um, you know, because we have this here, and we're also going to later have Kaguya, who is confronting, you know, indirect conflict uh, with um, with the Luch, and, you know, is upset about it, pretty visibly upset. Yeah, I mean, I, my only response to that is, is I feel like we, we're, we're still firmly in, in the harem camp. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. Think this, yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, if anything, this is just confirmation of that, really. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we we see here Lelouch, when Colin walks away, reinforce that thing that he said to her privately uh, on on the plane before they split last. Um, so yeah, Lelouch is here. He's he. It's a it's a plot. It's not you know they the the whole thing is strange because if this this thing that they announce, which is that like. It, it, you know, if if you joined UFN, you have fifty percent of the population now because China's been split up. So you would essentially be taking over the UFN. So then, why did you let him come? Like, if this is just the final conclusion at all, then why is he here? Like, you, surely you knew this before he came here. You guys didn't discover this today. You know what I mean? Like, we don't nitpick. That's fine. Right. This is not. I mean, this is the first of um, several things, and it, it's it's maybe fine here because they thought they had Gia's countermeasures, et cetera. Like that was a part of their strategy was to anticipate some bit happening. Um, but it does, 
bring up i i think maybe the first uh, uh strand of like is what 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 are Jean K's abilities as the strategic mastermind of the Black Knights? Um, and, and maybe this is something we can come back to in in twenty three in, in another context. But I do wonder, like, is is Suzaku and the Lancelot Albion really that much of a wild card that you would have you would have no plan? And, and maybe you know, which is frustrating for you know the the reasons of just just having mechs that are just too powerful to to handle at all, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we can we obviously we could speculate about about strategic decisions, uh, but it definitely makes you wonder that the Black Knights didn't have further plans. They didn't have further contingencies for exactly this incredibly likely scenario. Yeah, I mean, this could be like uh, I previously kind of compared it to the stuff that was happening in China, and and maybe this is why the stuff that happened in China happened. Like maybe they're trying to go for some kind of parallelism here. I don't, I don't think so. But I'm I'm reaching for 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 something. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get something to happen here. And before we we get to the the real like end of this episode, though, uh, uh, Nina and Rivels. Are, are attempting to get away from from the situation. Uh, unfortunately, they run into not one blockade but two blockades. But that's okay because the the one blockade was just meant to catch Nina anyway. It is it is as Lloyd is there and uh, is able to take them. I guess back to the uh, academy or the Avalon maybe. Yeah, or because they end up on the Avalon doing science, right? Yeah, at, at some yeah, point. yeah. Um, and so before things can really be be you know finally kind of clinched for Lelouch. He gets a phone call that lets him know, uh, uh, well, you remember how there was a, uh, a pen dragon, uh, somewhere in Arizona, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, not anymore. <laughs> it's gone. It got flayed. Uh, and it turns out it was flayed by a, uh, orbiting air fortress. I was going to call it a space station, but it's not that. It's, it's not, not yet. Space. I think he wants yeah. it to be a space station, but it's not quite in space just yet. I, I think, is low Earth orbit space? That It is, right? Like, yeah. It's, yeah, sure. Sure. Let's go with that. I'm People are going to correct us, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um. So, yes, we see the Damocles. Um, I'm... I'm kind of disappointed in it. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in it. I it's I can't believe it's literally just called Damocles. I did I keep calling it the Sword of Damocles? Am I am I I don't think you did, no. Okay, good. Okay, good. But I mean I, the point is Schneisel had been using the term Damocles for some time. Especially I think when we first saw the Flea tested. Right. And he was like, you know, finally like Damocles is here or Damocles will be ready or something to that effect. And um, and I was like, oh, so this is just your normal, you know, your normal standard reference to the sort of Damocles, the idea that you've now created an incredible perilous thing, you know, for these people in power, the normal things that one alludes to when talking about the sort of Damocles. Um, but, but no, they just, I mean, it still is a, a, a perilous thing held above us, literally. Uh, literally above us there's nothing above but the stars above but the stars above that's right uh but it's but it's just called damocles and um i i just find that very irritating that's funny how much credit you you gave them that's funny how much credit you gave them i mean i i i don't know i just thought it would be more sword like than it is like if it looks like 
usually in an uh, at the end of JRPGs when you reach the final dungeon, it usually is like a like Kefka esque, and I mean Kefka the clown, not mm-hmm. Kafka. The uh, um the Kefka esque sort of like tower of nonsense. You know, like it, it's it's sometimes just this like giant mass of like statues and iconography and stuff like that. And the Damocles really gives me that vibe. I, I really wanted it to be more sword shaped than it is. You know, like it's very much just kind of this platform. Uh, it, it, it's hard. I don't. I, I struggle even to describe it. It really reminds. If I had to compare it to another uh, aerial fortress, I feel like it most calls to me of the uh, the lunar aerial fortresses, meaning the video games lunar. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I'm, I mean, like, I was thinking about that. So a galleon has, like, the tower, which is like a tank. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what it's called. Grindery, I think it's called. Yeah. And then there's the flying magical city. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, that is yeah. at least, like, an island that's, like, floating in the sky right, sort right. of thing. Um, and then I was thinking of Shavat, right, um, from Xenogears uh, and, and Solaris, Um and like even those like have more of a like floating island or floating like station like like Solaris kind of is space stationy, mm-hmm. um, and like this is like it's just a big it's a big whatever you know it's a big big clump of of nothing. I don't know. Right. It doesn't really do it for it's, me. It's like I feel like it's it's a combination of of three things. There's there's a castle there for some reason. Um, mm. There is you know some structures that presumably help it float. Uh, and then there's a, there's a there's a butt at the bottom that just that just <laughs> poops. Yes, that's um, right. You know, and, and it can angle too. Uh, so that's you know, it's very, um, it's it's strange because I feel like it's on a a sliding gradient. Like at the very top, it it is all style, and, and at the very bottom, it is all substance. Yeah, it's strange. I kind of wish this was just like a bigger version of the Siegfried if it was just like a really really big Siegfried of some mm. kind I, I yeah, would like or, that. or just another airship of I mean we've had some fancy airships that we really didn't spend that much time with like the right the Great Britannia was sort of briefly featured and I was actually surprised that we didn't see it again now I I don't know did the Great Britannia get destroyed I don't know I, I, don't know. I have no memory of this place yeah <laughs> it's, there you go we, we see we have seen all sorts of airships just get blown the fuck up mm-hmm. is the thing. It's so true. Like, with the big laser beams or what have you, the the red one like you referenced. So I don't know, maybe that's not impossible. The last beat in this episode to talk about is the Nunnally reveal. Um I don't know, PMC, do do we do we do we maybe want to just cuz we're going to be talking about this right away. Uh, not only is revealed at the end of this episode, uh, and so the the start of the next episode is the kind of fallout or the aftermath of the mm-hmm. reveal. So why don't we, why don't why don't we why don't we take a break? Why don't we why don't we cut into the the White Castle that's floating in over the horizon here? And when we get back, we'll we'll hash out this not only thing after I do the summary. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Oh my god, is that White Castle shooting sliders? Oh my god! But- it's the Emperor for justice. I need to know the truth, Lelouch. Why didn't you ever tell me who you were? Hey! Ah! How Let dare you go. disrespecting the Emperor? We're friends. He was my best friend at school here. He was... Lelouch! <gasps> the capital, Pendra. 
dragon's been obliterated? Is it true? They say it was the Flea warhead. The thing that wiped out the Tokyo settlement? An accident? But I heard the Fleas they built are all missing now. Stop spreading wild rumors! <sighs> it is imprudent to talk as if the capital's been destroyed, even as rumors. No. I'm afraid it's all true. What? You? Please take me to Lelouch. It's urgent. <sighs> Alright. All right, PMC, we're back. Um, I you you helped uh, uh, apply first aid after that that slider hit me in the face. I'm I'm back. I'm I'm good to go. Yeah, uh, hamburger he, hamburger crime has been averted. That's right. Um, oh gosh, we missed our opportunity to make a um, uh, war in the pocket joke. We should have made. Damn it. That's fine. All right. So turn twenty three. You ready to talk about turn twenty three? Please. Should I? You see my note here. Should I go off on this or should I, you know what? I won't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna skip it. Uh, the tr- <laughs> title for turn twenty three is "Guise of Schneisel." Uh, not only reveals that Schneisel has let the cat out of the bag, told her everything. She seems to heavily disapprove of what Lelouch has done, but Lelouch doesn't let his mask slip. He pretends that she has never been in his mind and cuts the call. Schneisel lies to Nunley, saying that he had the capital evacuated. And when Cornelia calls him out on this privately, he reveals the scope of his plan. His disdain for humanity is such that his solution to the problems of the world is domination through terror, as he intends to send the Damocles into low Earth orbit in order to make strategic orbital attacks on various warmongering capitals. He hoodwinks the Black Knights into supporting his plan on account that the story holds them in contempt, and they have almost no agency. The battle commences, and the military strength of the Black Knights is more than a match for Lelouch's army. This forces him to execute his favorite plan, which is to blow up the landscape. This decimates the various forces and pushes Schneisel to attack with the Flea. Lelouch hopes to force Schneisel to deploy all of his Fleas, but this battle is going to be uphill. Alright, I think that about covers it. This is an interesting one because this uh, there's not really like a clean conclusion point to this. This is really like part one of, of a at least two part battle, right? Um we we teed up, we 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 were like, okay, the not only thing, this is we're gonna we're gonna pick this up at the end, beginning of this next episode. Uh but I guess the thing we should cover is that it opens with the confirmation of the destruction of Pendragon, you know? Um which I don't was this named before this episode? I don't remember it being a thing. I mean, because I, I feel like the when we had gotten glimpses of the Britannian homeland, which we, we know is is set in, in, like, North America, most often we would see shots of, like, the new California base and, and things oh, like that. Great. And it, I don't remember that ever there really being uh, a mention of Pendragon. Presumably, maybe, some of the stuff we saw that was capital stuff was Pendragon stuff. Maybe they slipped it in there, but I, I don't know if we would have recognized it as such. Please don't let Caesar's Legion people know that the Holy Britannian Empire is in the NCR. I don't want to have that fucking conversation with those tedious people. <laughs> Just kidding. Listen, if you're someone who went and did the Caesar's Legion story because you wanted to see what it was like, it doesn't automatically make you fascist. That's not what I'm saying. It's fine. They're just a cadre of people online who really like to pretend that they really believe that Caesar's Legion would be good for the Fallout universe. And that's a, it's a, a, you know, it's a real fun game we're playing online. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's especially, anyway, this is not a Fallout New Vegas podcast. (laughs) Welcome to the Fallout New Vegas podcast, (laughs) Machinations. Well, you know, so speaking of 
um, the courier, um, <laughs> Jeremiah Gottwald. I did you notice that he just jumps out of the fucking airship? Oh yeah, he's like, great. He heard someone talking shit on the ground, and so he was like, "Hang on, like, fucking like a MCU character just jumped out of an airplane." Right. Yep, yep. I also watched that episode of that show. Oh no. well, see, this is not even so. It, I know it is hack to be talking mm. about other podcasts on a podcast, uh, but Griffin Newman of the Blank Check podcast, who also plays uh, Arthur on The Tick uh, and Amazon's version of The Tick, uh, he has this whole thing about, or maybe it's David Sims, the other host of the Blank Check podcast, who has this whole thing about the amount of times that Marvel characters jump out of planes without parachutes, mm-hmm. and there are, and of course, it is many to the to the point that I think you know the in the episode of Falcon Winter Soldier that you're referencing, I, I think they're making fun of it now at this point. Like I feel I think like so. the, I think you're right. You're right. The gag with Bucky appears to me to be them being like, "This is a dumb thing that these yes. characters do," <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I, I'm, I have more complicated feelings about than WandaVision. Anyway, um, but Code Geass. Code <laughs> we, Geass. We're talking Speaking about everything but feelings. Code Geass. You know, I, while, we're, while we're kind of zipping a, a, to, a few, to a few things before maybe getting to the, the complicated Nunley discourse, right. I just want to mention uh, uh, something that we're going to talk about in this episode. And this is maybe a simple example, uh, is that... It feels like some of our cast members have forgotten where the story has been or what the yep. context of the story is. Yep. And the Jeremiah example I'm going to bring up as a fun example because I wouldn't expect the story to address this, but it is true that for two episodes, Marianne came back and then was deleted from reality by the mass unconsciousness of reality itself. Yeah. The collective unconscious, yep. Yep. And I don't know who knows this or if we or if the show cares us cares for us to think about that because we have a bunch of people who are very dedicated to Marianne and yeah. Jeremiah was one of those. That was the primary reason that he, he came under Lelouch's service, which is how he identifies his, his motivations. He's like, Yes, I am I am loyal, that's my thing, I have a code, and I'm loyal to that code. And here i do wonder like i would love to know does jeremiah know what happened with with marianne maybe the answer is he doesn't need to know because he he had thought she was dead and kind of was so you know but but definitely i i couldn't help but think about it when seeing jeremiah in this episode this is a small innocuous example this isn't actually. I mean, what do you do? You think this is an Oculus? Like, would you like to have seen this address? Well, or? I I'm glad you bring it up because I do think it. I don't know if I agree that it's innocuous only because I feel like typically mm-hmm. when you have character relationships like this, um, and and the character is able to return from the dead or or return to, from some other context, it is it is not typical for those characters to not interact at all to just be on parallel tracks of the story 100 percent. it is i'm not going to sit here and be like it is it it is proof that code geass is trash actually that is not really my position what i'm saying is that you you wouldn't normally see that like okay so it it would be kind of like in a rogue and gambit focused story of the x-men if in the process of that story uh gene gray the phoenix came back 
Um, and then later in that story, they met Scott Cyclops and they never mentioned it to him. That would be very strange. <laughs> right. <laughs> because those characters have a lot of context with one another. And it would be odd for them to just not mention to Jean Grey's ex-husband that his wife had returned from the... Do you see what I'm saying? Where It, it would come like, up. You know, I would it, be thinking of you when, when, right. I, when I saw... Oh, by the way, my mother came back uh, and then she got deleted... But it's okay. She was bad all along. You, we're well, still good. So you are. You put, I think, the finger on the reason why he doesn't know this, which is that it is it's strategically, yeah. yeah, it's strategically unsound for the Luch to tell him. What I, what I'm kind of commenting on more mm-hmm. is the how this is just kind of messy storytelling, right? Like you you wouldn't normally introduce this element, which is to say that uh, Jeremiah has this like secret lock in his heart that is shaped like Marianne, which basically allows him to be instantly recruited into the Luch side, no matter what that side is like that would normally come into play a little bit more, but like it really did like it. Jeremiah was introduced as this wild card cyborg. And in the same episode where he became a threat, he was instantly defanged to no consequence. Right. And so this is just one of those things where the the uh, amount of beats in the air, the amount of axes or plates that are being spun uh, just didn't land on anything useful in this particular case. Like, it's weird because we both are kind of, I think, fond of Jeremiah mm-hmm. for various reasons, right. you know, but there's really not a lot going on with him. I like this bit he's going to have with Sayako where he's like, you are also someone dedicated to chivalry, I see. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. But like, I don't know. I, I I agree with you that it's it's strange. It's it's strange to have this and maybe we'll we'll be eating our our words come uh uh twenty four and twenty five when uh someone says to him, Hey, by the way By the way <laughs> did, did you because Anya's was still around, right? Like Anya is fighting on behalf of the Black Knights oh, right yeah. now. That, in would, the that would make sense. Anya was on the Anya's on the battlefield, Jeremiah's on the battlefield. So or, no. Or like C2 maybe could have been like, hey, by the way. <laughs> Cause I could see C2 thinking that's funny, <laughs> you know? Um but yeah, I maybe well that's not impossible. There there it could be, I doubt it. But yeah, there it's interesting how this uh you know, I don't like to steal your turns of phrases, but like Jeremiah is really kind of a nothing burger, huh? Really, really not really much going on with this character. <laughs> so uh, here's Nunley. So uh, PMC, uh, we have watched something like uh, almost close to 50 episodes of Code Kids mm-hmm. at this point. Um, something like 49 now, well, it I would think. Be, I think it would be 48, right? Because it's 25 plus 25. We weren't oh, any okay. extras, right? Yeah, so I think yeah, it would be yeah, 48 because yeah. we're just yeah. missing 49 and 50. Okay, so now we're at the episode 48. Um, one of the core things to Code Geass when we were introduced to it is the the Lelouch, Nunnally, Suzaku sort of like triumvirate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I think that the Suzaku place in it is a little bit tricky, right? Um, because for, for what I'm trying to discuss here, I, I think the, the thing with Nunnally that they've always been trying to go for is this sort of ego id super ego sort of thing where not only is the super ego and and is sort of the it, we've talked about this before how she stands in for the like innocence of the luch 
and how this innocence and naivete of Lelouch is also blind, right? Like it is a very literal sort of uh, uh, illusion or metaphor in this case. Um, and so now we we are we we it is revealed that she is alive, which we you know. PMC, you wisely called it, until I see your ghost in the sky, your character is not dead, which is, I think, fair. You know, we can't, we can say pretty definitively that those Knights of the Round are pretty fucking dead. Oh, yeah, but they're dead. I, yeah. Um, if you're a major named character, unless I see your ghost in the sky, you're, you're still out there somewhere. Um, but um, Nunnally is here, and she's here to say uh, that she loves to rap in a major way. Um <laughs> <laughs> That uh, she's not happy with Shizaku and Lelouch. Um, But, um, okay. She brings up how they've been lying to her. And uh, it seems like at this point, what she's upset about is more the, like, the principle of the thing. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, it is, okay. And this is, audience, When sometimes when I talk about, like, the emotional landscape of the show... One of the reasons I bring this up is because when the emotional landscape is kind of rocky or unsteady or unsure, and you come up to something shocking like this, uh, the emotional landscape allows you to kind of find where you're at when the thing happens. Like it's like, okay, is this? Am I in support of this as a story beat? Am I? Do I emotionally understand it, even though I'm like, grr, I wish this wasn't happening, or is this just nothing to me? You know, that that's kind of why it's important for that sort of stuff to make sense, right? To 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 follow sort of logical, maybe not logical, but at least a reasonable sort of path. Um the thing I'm kind of getting to here is that I I don't I don't think we can say that the not only as Lelouch's innocence uh, like kind of counted in Code Geass R2. It, it doesn't seem like that was a thing that R2 believed very much, or at least because of the way that they used Nunnally, which is to say that she was like this like hostage in Britannia, mm-hmm. as far as Lelouch was concerned. Right. Her role changes a lot, right? And we've talked about this in the episode where she died, where I felt like, the the show had done enough emotionally at this point to make me understand why Lelouch's reaction was so stark, you know, other than obviously losing your younger sister would be hard. But here now she's she's here, she's mad at Suzaku and Lelouch, and the thing that, that comes up is they're like, but but Schneidzelfle at the capital, and she's like, Is the GS any better? And I'm like Kind of a little, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, like, like, do, like <laughs> do you really want to weigh this? You know, like, well, this is, well, this is what I mean. Is like, this gets frustrating when they they bring up this this conflict because how far back do you want to go? Not only like, do you do you it, you know do you want to go back to our dad, leaving the state of the world as it is? Or do you want to go to Schneisel? whose world conquest was not but, like, I don't know, like, six or five episodes ago, you know? Or that dude's whole thing was he was going around the world and conquering the whole thing. Like, at what point is is Schneisel and Lelouch culpable for the state of the world and why Lelouch would lie to Nunnally? Like, she doesn't seem at all concerned about why these things happened, just that they happened, period, right? And that now that Schneisel has been nice to her, 
Shizel is the one she's on board with. And and I think you brought this up earlier, which is this this thing that the characters of Code Geass have where they they are unable to remember previous things that occurred or or why the context of where they're at is what it is, you know? Like it needs to be kind of thrown in their face in the moment or it just won't be addressed yeah i mean that's the thing especially nonally in particular i think is a, a an egregious example of this because um there are other characters like if, if we had this kind of moment where like let's say like we we could pick a different character let's say someone like like ogi or someone like that like a, a black right. knight who isn't a strategic mastermind and they're given the choice and they don't know that you know schneisel has this thing where he is just as much an evil manipulative mastermind as luch but not only is in on that like not only is a member of the royal family not only is it was in the court not only is awake to the idea that her close family members will lie to her She's yelling at, at one of them for doing so, and another person she considers a close friend, Suzaku, for for lying to her. And so, and and she is aware uh, that he blew up a whole city, which, like, even even taking the lie about evacuations, whatever, Evacu- blah, blah, sure. that's like that's still a pretty tall order, uh, you know. So it's it just it begs the question of. Like this, this contest of like, well, well, what, what super powerful weapon do you find more upsetting? Is just like a very strange contest to be involved in. It's, well, yeah, one hundred percent. It's not something I want to be judge of, you know. And it's it, and I, it's strange to me that any of these characters who who are allying with Schneisel would also want to be in that contest. Uh, even at this, you know, some of them are being lied to. Some of them are like, well, I mean we'll get there in a second like oh well we're we're, we'll we'll, we won't fall for this yeah but do you have anything more about not only that you wanted to get to and i mean following up on this or so i mean there's there's a lot with not only but i think we will have to move on just to get to the rest of the episode Mm -hmm. but it's tough because one of the other things that they've established about not only earlier in the season is that she is able to tell when people are lying to her and and what it usually requires is physical contact of some kind and what's frustrating is that the moment where um schneisel and cornelia are talking about the the flea and the pendragon or pendragon being blown up like okay they're not touching but they're real close oh, yeah. and and like i can buy that schneisel is doing the like sociopath thing where it's like i believe the own lies that i'm telling i don't even think of it as lying <laughs> you know and that's how you beat the like daredevil style lie detector sort of thing that um not only's got going um but like i feel like if she didn't trust oh, fuck i forgot her name i was about to call her the real life senator name again um <laughs> lohmeyer lohmeyer <laughs> um if she didn't trust lohmeyer i don't understand why she would trust um fucking Scheinzel. i i don't like and, and, and mostly on the count of like i just if I was her, and and I'm never I've never been in a royal family, so I don't know how this would go. But like, how how would you not be mad at your siblings for allowing you to be, like you know, uh, 
not what's the word uh hostage for so long like in in occupied territory with basically no protect like why why would she have any fondness for these people i'm I, really I truly... really glad you brought up the lohmeyer thing because i think that was a, that's a really great example because lohmeyer is lying to her about policy stuff like saying oh yeah this policy will totally look after the the 11s and you know it's like no do it over again right and you know so that was that was the that was there was a not only arc there was there was almost an arc of not only where she became viceroy and then was developing agency and i feel like we have lost it i feel like here we lose that whatever whatever not only was developing into it feels like we we lost that thread the only thing you could really say is that she had an opportunity by holding on to the giant chess piece that fires nukes that she could have said no actually you know like i'm not going to use this weapon or whatever but like, that's that hasn't happened yet her, obviously you her, mentioned this this episode as doesn't have a clean break so right. you know some of this might get revised but her magical girl wand that fires Sephiria. <laughs> you, you don't like her magical girl wand I, I i think it's fantastic i don't i don't know how else you would fire a nuclear weapon but <laughs> um yeah so it's fine again I mean, we're we're not nitpicky you know we're, it's fine that she her she's not really questioning schneisel here for the the elements of the plot i don't want to say fine fine is not the way to put it I, I think it's the the sort of thing that Code Geass will often do, which is to kind of prioritize the melodrama over maybe what would be, like, contextually the, the most reasonable thing for a character to do. And I want to stress, like, bad characters making bad decisions does not make a story bad. Mm-hmm. When when characters make bad decisions, that, that doesn't mean that the story is doing something wrong necessarily. But... If you're taking all of the pieces and it's adding together into something where you can maybe see what the intention was, but it doesn't land for other, you know, various reasons. Like, you know, this is something that I think we'll be talking about a lot when it comes to our postmortem. You know, it's hard. It's hard to put aside the stuff that's, you know, causing friction for the stuff that does work. And I'll, I, you know, I'm, there's stuff that works and we liked 22. We, we thought that this was an episode that was like logical conclusions to all sorts of stuff. Um, I'll also say that I was, uh, it just goes to show that what kind of development that Lelouch is in right now that he is able to do the, the hang up on not only thing, um, I, if I were more cynical, I would put this as like a feather in my cap in like, you know, this, this whole nunnally thing has been de-emphasized enough in season two to the point where like, I, you know, I wasn't really like, wow, none, Lelouch has gone so far as much as I was able to be like, well, I'm glad he wasn't shaking as much as he was, I guess, you know, it, it's the sort of thing where I'm surprised that they understood that this was going to be the the thing to do to uh, kneecap Lelouch. We're not surprised. That's not the way to put it. I'm surprised it's deployed in this way and that it doesn't feel like it worked. You know, <laughs> like it feels like it, it's it's like uh, 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 more effective on me than it was on Lelouch, which was which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The Nunnally character is kind of a bummer. Uh, kind you know, kind of something that. Uh, it, it is 
I, I guess we're, this is something we'll, we'll talk about in full as, as we do the postmortem. But in this episode anyway, I, I just don't know if I understand. Because we weren't privy to how Schneisel talked her into it, there, there's so much that I don't know. Like, what did he say? Like, what was his version of what Lelouch did? And, like, even if it was exactly what he did in um, 19, you know, we know that that argument is is one-sided, right? right. That it's full of holes, you know? Um, and most of all, it doesn't, you know, I would just like to know if not only is the person who convinced Kalen that Lelouch is a good brother, what Schneisel could have said to bring her from that point to, like, if not neutral to negative. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so Lelouch and uh, uh, C2 and Suzaku have a conversation uh in privately and uh there's a chessboard of course <laughs> of course well oh look there's probably chessboards everywhere i have to assume it was an imperial decree in every single room um but yeah this is more zero requiem stuff like suzaku is like hey fucking suck it up dummy uh and he says to c2 listen i'm a sword and so you need to be a shield um, you you must, uh, you know, because you're invulnerable, <laughs> you must be a shield. I don't know if she's still invulnerable, actually. I don't know how that works. Yeah, you know, I, I and that's a good literal question in terms of like where 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 is her, uh, where is her? Because didn't Charles get the code or something? Or yeah, but wasn't it V2's code he got? Okay. Oh, that's right. I guess he didn't really get the other code. Yeah, because she left. Yeah, so I guess maybe because she got her memories back, she never really lost her powers. Because remember, we we went through this whole routine where she bled, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That yeah, was yeah. No, well, that's why that I was she, confused, totally. Yes, exactly. That was a sign that she didn't have her powers, uh, her witch powers, her witch time. Um, well, no, I, I guess when she, when she, when that in twenty one, she she still had the marker on her forehead, right? Did she still have the mark on her forehead in twenty one? I don't remember. We'll probably visit. We'll probably visit. Putting that aside, putting mechanics, yeah, 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 yeah. bayonetta mechanics aside. Yes, uh, we we're still. I think I'm wondering what C 2s role is. C two, we now know had a desire to have a, a Gia's contract play out in its full, so that she could retire from the stage permanently. Um, and, and she's had some moments where she's surprised herself, she has said, when, when it comes to making certain decisions in terms of how 21 played out and that conflict. Um, and I feel we haven't really, have we really had a chance to revisit what her role? No, we haven't really, right? Not really. It seems like she's not super into this Emperor Lelouch plan, but it's kind of hard to see. I mean, if the Zero Lecrium is what I imagine to be, I could see why she wouldn't be into that mm-hmm. plan, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, it, it's, it doesn't seem to be the like subjugation of, of the various humans. <laughs> that doesn't seem to be the issue. So the next scene, the next big scene is Schneisel. So basically Schneisel has his big villain plan and he kills Cornelia because Cornelia is not into it. Uh, and the specifics of that plan I laid out in the summary, essentially he's going to fly around and flaya a bunch of different capitals and basically tell the world to, to step up or he'll continue to fly it. Uh, PMC, before I go off about Schneisel, what do you think about Schneisel? Do you, do you, do you have any takes about, about Schneisel? I think Schneisel is kind of a boring villain because I feel like what he's doing is he's representing, he's, he's representing just kind of 
old world values in 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 so many ways he you know he he gave the speech to gino before about you know what is it that people really want they want to be ruled and he's gonna do it with big weapons he's just kind of a he's just kind of a boring villain i i wish and some i don't know i i i wish i had something more to say about him i just think he's very he he ends up being kind of cookie cutter this is kind of a deflating scene what what do you got to say about schneisel i mean that's that's kind of exactly where i'm at i i feel that this character has no real oomph to him there's 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 a real sort of we we got the the closest glimpse we got to characterization is that they joked about um a relationship with canon right Mm -hmm. and it was canon specifically who joked about it so you know as much as i can buy that they are in some kind of relationship. It doesn't, at that point, tell us really anything about Schneisel, other than if you are uh, viewing a, or if you're attempting to uh, view Code Geass through an LGBTQ paradigm, you you can take something away from the idea that Schneisel has the position he has and, and is able to, quote-unquote, publicly have the relationship that he has. But even then, like, the show doesn't, do anything with that it doesn't tell us anything about either schneisel or canon really canon is really just his number one you know and schneisel as far as what he believes this is the closest scene that we get to any of that and for the most part he has nothing going on this kind of thing where it's like uh i mean dean hart describes it as nihilism right um but i don't really know if it's nihilism right I, I don't know if, it, because what, what this kind of is, is this sort of like egotism yeah. where you, you've you decided that there is no better way to like work through problems at all. You just have to force people to ignore them is essentially what he's doing. And there's something so hubristic about that, like this idea that you can... Because what it is 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 a power imbalance thing, right? You you are assuming direct control over the whole world, and you're pretending it's for everybody else's good. Like there, there's there's nothing more narcissistic than that, right? Like there's there's no way around it, and so like there isn't anything to this that is informed by any of the previous episodes. There's there's no interaction with. Luch or Charles that would lead us to believe that this would be his end goal. It's, yeah, you uh, know, I think that's that's a good point to jump off of because part of our introduction to Schneisel was as a rival to Charles for the throne. He was he was like, my dad keeps doing this magic shit and it's real sus and maybe I should do something about that. But in terms of discovering why Schneisel was motivated to do as much. We don't, I mean, the, honestly, I feel like to, in some sense, we almost get more from Charles than we do from Schneisel because Charles is like, don't you get it? Schneisel is a world of lies. And, right. and that's like the, the more flavor for Schneisel than Schneisel often gives us himself. And, you know, I mean, I think you already mentioned Canon is in effect maybe the, the, the prime uh, carrier of the banner for for Schneisel having anything interesting going on because Schneisel's not bringing it to us himself. 
Yeah, I wish this was, like, more thoroughly emphasized as, like, the effects of being raised by Charles or something. Like, if this was something where Cornelia is like, like, no, this isn't how Father taught us or something like that. Like, there, there would be an angle to this for me. Because then I would say, like, oh, BMC is right. This is, like, the leftover... Uh, uh, you know, ideology of of old Britannia that Schneisel, rep- but that's not really it, right? Because because that's not really what Schneisel represented. Like he's not really on that same like men and women are not created equal. Like he's not on that page, really. Not mm-hmm. really. Like it's more just like all people are garbage. Is kind of where he's at. Um, I don't know. It's nothing. It sucks that he kills Cornelia, but like whatever. Do we think it, Cornelia it, is dead? I mean, we didn't see her ghost in the sky. So we didn't that's see her fair. ghost. In the- Cornelia has been in worse situations in this show, I think. Because <laughs> didn't she almost die at the end of season one? I, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, you can uh, if, at this rate, she might have a secret guess for all we know. Right. <laughs> so that's that's that at this Look, point. It, I'm just out here rooting for Mary McGlynn, All right. I you know we we gotta we gotta keep her going. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so. We we check in a little bit with Sayako and and uh, Jeremiah, but that's mostly just to emphasize what we learned mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. previous scene with Schneisel. Um, and C two takes the time uh, to basically follow up from what uh, uh, Suzaku had to say, and and kind of reinforces Lelouch's like will here, like is you know largely complimentary of of what he's been doing, and then gets gives him a little little hand touch, little hand touchy, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um. I uh the uh, uh I don't know this I guess this is nice in theory yeah. this is a nice moment between these two characters you know um I wish I knew what was going on yeah uh yeah it makes it hard to judge these scenes because I don't really know uh you know the the way that he she is like pressing uh her weight against his is kind of nice I kind of like the the intimacy of that without it being like you know uh indulgent I guess is the word I would use. I don't know. This was a nice little moment, but it's just hard to really comment on. Not, not really much to say. It is the beginning, I think, of the the tour, the round stop tour of all the characters before the big big battle. Yeah, we got again. A, we got a wacky montage here. There's a lot. There's there's a, a pink mobile suit. There's um, oh, you know. Lloyd makes his all time greatest face. I think <laughs> uh, when he's he turns towards Cecile, which I think is. Cecily announcing whatever she's prepared that that Nina is chowing yeah, down Nina on. Yeah, Nina's eating with the purple sauce on it. Yeah, Lloyd is making an all-time great Lloyd face here uh, as that happens. Uh, Suzaku is hanging with Lancelot and Arthur, the cat. Um, Jonka's uh, beautiful anime girl disease has returned. Has returned. All right. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll, I mean, we only got so much time left for that to happen. So T- Tamaki is yelling at children. I imagine that he's screaming at them. He's, yeah. This is not inspirational. Give me your all. lunch money, kids. <laughs> yes. Hey, kid, give me your lunch money. <laughs> uh, Toto has, I think, um, uh, either we can surmise there's some kind of uh, love connection between him and... Um, Chiba? Ki- yeah, angry lady. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and uh, we, we finally, we get a kind of the, the follow-up we've been waiting for for... For the whole show, um, Rakshad has rebuilt the Tristan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Valletta is pregnant. I mean, it's what happens when you take a tumble off a cliff, you know? This is the way nature what? works. What? I, I don't understand. When when 
It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. It's not important. I just don't know when. It's fine. Did they? Fu- mm, it's fine. Uh, it, the timing just doesn't make. It's fine. It it's fine. It's, it's not fine. Important. Um. All right. So I didn't. I haven't talked about this yet because it is kind of my big, my big thing. Mm-hmm. And why didn't I didn't say this at the top of the episode? But I did not like twenty three that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And it has one hundred percent to do with this following issue, PMC. Uh, I think that the Black Knight's working for Schneisel because he opposes Lelouch is sucks. It's bad. It's dumb and bad. Yeah. And when I say ahead, the Black yeah, Knights, sorry, no, I just want to be specific. I don't mean the entire UFN force, right? I mean the the characters who we think of when I say the Black Knights, which is to say like Rakshada, Ogi, Kalen, you know, some of the... You know, Toto, the Four Swords, um, uh, I guess Jonka and, and the, the Chinese Federation people. Um, like, the leadership, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's not so much the armed forces that that Schneinzel has gotten to join him, but, like, in much the same way, it is very frustrating that Nunnally has no no questions for Schneinzel. It is very, very frustrating that the Black Knights are so willing to throw in their lot with... You'd think just on principle they wouldn't. Right? Like, I have no problem with them taking part in this battle. That's not the issue. The issue is that they work for Schneisel. Like, to the point where they, they transfer commands to him. So that, um, fucking Janka can go out in the Shenhu. I don't know, man. This, this whole thing is really frustrating to me. I do not like how these characters are interchangeable in this way. I feel like it, it, it paints them as dummies. Like, like, why should we care about whatever their their core issues are if they're willing to be so easily hoodwinked just because of Lelouch on being on one side? Like PMC, we don't do we don't do the kind of critique where we rewrite stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like typically that we try to avoid that sort of critique. Maybe I, I usually when we do podcasts, it goes one ear and out the other. <laughs> so maybe we've done that in the past. I don't remember. Um, but like, why couldn't they've just been like terrorists sneaking around this battlefield and rescuing UFN administrators under Lelouch's nose? Like they started, right? Like, like, like how they initially, like this whole thing where they're just on the opposite side so that they can fight against Lelouch just bums me out. It just, it just reinforces how the show is about how Lelouch is the coolest and best, except when it's not. Uh, you know, and and I have fully prepared for the like. I'm 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 thinking what's going to happen is the Final Fantasy Tactics ending, where there is a historical hero, but really there was a real hero that history never wrote about, and and I think Lelouch is going to be the real hero that history never wrote about. Um, and I'm deeply worried about it because the Black Knights are the only sympathetic characters in the show, and 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 it's weird how. The show doesn't agree and pretends that you know these other uh, characters with the the issues that they have are the ones that I'm supposed to be. You know, listen. My position on the Lelouch Suzaku thing has been well documented, uh, and I said previously in this last episode that I liked Lelouch, but or, or the way that Lelouch was acting in that previous episode. But it it bears repeating for me that. The way that the occupied peoples of Japan have no ability to recognize 
when they're being manipulated by their occupiers is very frustrating to me and hard to ignore when I'm considering all the other stuff, especially when the other stuff I'm meant to consider is like the Luch figured it all out actually, or look how awesome Suzaku is at, at everything, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's just really tough. I don't know. I've been going off for a while here. Did you have any particular, did you feel like this bothered you or? No, it, it did because I, you know, I think you, you're emphasizing it from this aspect, which is right to emphasize that the, the folks who have been fighting oppression are probably good at recognizing it. And for them to be so easily hoodwinked, uh, to what feels like the show wants us to believe is a personal vendetta. I find it difficult to believe that even even the, the least strategic minds among the leadership of the Black Knights would would fail to know, you know, who they're allying with and what the strategic objectives are. You know, again, even in the middle of 19, Ogi, who we, we who we don't identify as a, as a master uh, you know, strategy mind, was said, "Hey, all right, well, you can have him if you give us Japan." You know, like, you know, he was still he still had his eye on the prize. The thing that I would point to um, you know, I already talked about how Lelouch and Schneisel are both placed as these master strategic boys and, you know, are, are compared in a lot of ways, have, have, having always had conflict in the past and how Schneisel always won. And, you know, and that people in the royal family are, are aware of this dynamic. Um, we also spent time in R2 in China establishing the Zhang Ke dynamic that Zhang Ke is the complete package. Jean right. K is not acting like the complete package, and it's it's frustrating because I feel like we are by remembering that Jean K is fated to die, we are bringing us close to some part where Jean K will be absent just in time for terrible things to happen. Like that's right. that's my expectation. Oh, and, for sure. And he he I I feel like Jean K he's at the top of the bridge. I'm pretty sure he's in charge of the Black Knights, and so I, I'm really, really disappointed that he is putting the Black Knights in this situation with his mortality, and that he doesn't have a strategic plan. As you mentioned, we don't want to get into this business of rewriting, but a major thing in this show is that the smart characters always have a plan. They've always right. played it out X moves ahead. That's why you know we always have... The, the exciting Luch reveals, the unrest across China, the, the deep sea methane, the Mount Fuji blowing up. Right. You know, we have always have a play. Schneisel knows how many Flea warheads he has. He got his forces in order. And it feels like Jean K is not playing that game at all. He says, not anymore. Uh, we don't approve of Schneisel's usage of Flea, but, you know, we got to go after Luch. And that is not. That's not the same Jean K who was like, actually, I know what the quality of the reclaimed land is, and right. it is such that your forces will sink into the water. This is not the same Jean K that I think you know we we had explained to us and, and introduced to us during that arc, uh, and so that's very that inconsistency in the. Um, I don't also call it like power levels, strategy power levels, or inconsistency in the character. It, it's frustrating because. Uh, everyone else is going to suffer from it. And just as you said, the, the Black Knights are going to be left in a, in a series of, of bad places on account of this. And it doesn't feel like it should be playing out this way. I have, tro I have trouble understanding why any of this 
should play it this way and not the way you know that we've suggested where the black knights would look at two manipulative princes of britannia with powerful weapons and say no thank you yeah no thank you uh, we're we're out this isn't our fight anymore you know, like, or, or we'll go right. Cause this is the thing we're going to, that I, I want to stress. Like, I understand that Lelouch has kidnapped the UFN administrators. And so they need to be, that needs to be addressed in some way or another. Right. What I'm saying is that don't, hmm, okay. And I also want to stress this other thing. Everything I have, all the problems I have for, with the Black Knights working for Schneisel all applies before he does his big villain speech. After he does its big villain speech, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Are you fucking kidding me? Because we know for sure now that they're working for someone definitively worse than Lelouch. Like, we don't, we really don't know what Lelouch's, like, plan was. We we can assume that wouldn't be good just because he's been, been real bad these last couple episodes. But, like, we know for a fact now, the audience does anyway, that, that the Black Knights are fighting on behalf of a genocidal sociopath you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it is it's this thing where i think they're going for a a uh war war is bad sort of situation where uh you know the audience is on one hand perhaps sympathetic with lelouch and suzaku and their cause but understand that the the black knights are are the more you know valorous or what have you or maybe vice versa whatever Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't know if this work again. I just feel like it makes the black Knights seem dumb as hell. Like it just makes them seem easily manipulatable, which is frustrating, at least for me. Like I get, I feel like if you are chiefly concerned with the, the Luch Suzaku situation, it's very easy to brush this stuff aside. I feel like, but for me, I'm, hyper focused on the black knights and kalen because that's to me where the story is the story is about an occupied japan but i mean that's my problem my problem is that i am not interested in the machiavellian uh princeling you know like i i I don't really think that the the show is working with its best foot forward in that regard because i think while the characterization for lelouch and suzaku is where this show is strongest it is constantly trying to outsmart the 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 audience as far as its plot twists go it very much reminds me of this era that game of thrones seems to have like brought into us you know game of i mean the tv show mostly Mm -hmm, but like mm -hmm. Where it's more about if you can get that page turned than than tracing out the reasoning in a way that is like pleasing, right? There's there could be there's really fun subtext in this show. There's there's some really fun character moments individually, but like it's stuff like this where they ignore context or previous actions so that the chessboard of the show can be set up in a specific way. You know, like it, it just, it really is just a, your mileage may vary sort of thing. And I, I, I think for the both of us, we're, we were unimpressed, right? Like this is just, this is just so we can get Lelouch and his new status quo with empowered by his boyfriend, 
uh, versus Lelouch's old status quo, which is why Kalen was talking about it previously, right? Like, she's explicitly brought up that he is the one who, like, empowered the Black Knight so that we can be, do, like, a sort of past Lelouch versus future Lelouch right. kind and of I, thing. And I think you're, you've now put it in, in the ultimate terms. You, I think you said this in so many words before, but everything is Lelouch-centric, right? It right. is the showdown of, of past Lelouch forces or current Lelouch forces rather than the showdown of, you know, the Black Knights versus um, the the Geist army, I guess. Yeah, the Britannian Geist forces, yeah. Uh, during the battle, there's a fight. There's a fight, there's a fight, there's a fight. There's some um, uh, uh, Dota positioning. Um, uh, there's a, a there's a Hunter Hunter episode where they talk about this th- this idea where two masters will have an entire battle, you know, mentally before anything happens. Yeah, uh, it's it's action, you know. There's there's a beat where the uh, what is it? The Ikaruga goes down, I think. Um, and uh, Kalen and Tamaki save it. Mm-hmm. Tamaki yeah, they, is they, doing they stuff. Save the bridge. Yeah, Tamaki. Shout out to Tamaki doing some action, saving some people. And you know, uh, the 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 end of this episode really is the. Uh, you know, we've made fun of it. Lelouch likes to to just take the chessboard and just kind of yeah, just uproot it, root it. And usually he does this with explosives. Uh, and so he blows up Mount Fuji, and he doing that he decimates most of the ground and air forces on both sides. Mm-hmm. Hashtag both sides. And uh, you know, Jean K and Toto are like, grr, that this guy. I don't, I don't approve any of this stuff. It's just like ah, it's. This is weird. It's weird in a show that's trying to be this like political and real in the way that it tells its like war story for these characters to still be doing this like Klingon honor kind of bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I I guarantee you one of you motherfuckers have like thrown a grenade into a room before that you weren't in. And like, is that any more honorable, really? Well, like And it's amazing too for them to be talking about the intentional the intentional sacrifice of military forces, which maybe is not great. No, but of course you're, not. Yeah. you're fighting allied with the guy who just nuked a city. Right? Yeah. His own city. I like I, again we you know, maybe I shouldn't be prepared to weigh things. I might be prepared to say that that deleting an entire city is is worse than, you know, leaving your ground forces out to hang. Like that might yeah. be worse. I mean, like the the thing that's weird to me about it is is this thing of like uh, you know, it, it's I mean that kind of hypocrisy in the middle of battle is is a common thing in these kinds of war stories mm-hmm. where like one side that is actively killing the other side is like talking about how dishonorable the one side they're killing is acting like right. that, that's not atypical. It's just like okay, guys, <laughs> like whatever. It's one of those things where I don't know if. I'm clear exactly what I'm supposed to feel. I think they want you to be able to, to root for whatever side you personally want to root for. Um, but it, it ends up leaving me feeling like, um, uh, unable to really judge. Right. Because it, it feels like we're, we're waiting for whatever the conclusion of the next two episodes are going to be. And when it comes to this episode anyway, like I'm, I'm mad about all the setup and stuff, but it's hard to say whether or not, you know, maybe I'm wrong and this will all pay off. And maybe there's a 
Black Knight scheme where they're going to do something to come out on top of. I would love for them to defeat both Schneisel and Luch somehow. Right. That'd be great. You know, that would be fantastic. I don't foresee that happening at all. Um, my guess is that the Zero Requiem. Okay, so on the track that Luluch is on now, where he is essentially becoming a a small torpy version of his father, mm-hmm. I imagine that the Zero Requiem is related to the Sword of Akasha and the Ragnarok connection, but is something different. And that in doing it, he will die. That is my prediction. That he's going to do something that will cause him to die, and it will either like make everybody forget he existed, and therefore cause all of the things that he did to like escape from memory. Or, you know, he's going to be some kind of martyr and and make up for all the things that happened somehow. But I would doubt like a reset. I don't think that's going to happen, like a world reset mm, of some kind. Mm. Um, but that's my guess as far as the Zero Requiem goes. Um, what do you think, PMC? Do, do you have a guess? Uh, whew. I mean, that's a pretty strong one, I would say. Uh, I mean, here's the thing is that based on, if, you know, the lesson I learned from last time is that I have to imagine whatever's going to happen is going to be a cliffhanger. I don't think there's going to be a definitive resolution, um, you know. So I don't, I don't know where the cliffhanger comes in. That's probably going to happen. My guess. Oh yeah, didn't, this does end on a cliffhanger. Did, yeah, doesn't Steven it? Hero say in our history episode that this famously ends on a cliffhanger or something? Jesus, R two. I think, I think this is yeah. So I think we're, gonna, I think we're due for another cliffhanger ending. I don't know where that comes in though. I'm sure things Christ. happen in these two episodes, but, um, but yeah. We, one thing I wanted to, to just touch back on, um, and this goes back to, you know, I think some of what you were saying about the Black Knights and Japan. Uh, I It's funny to me that Toto seems more preoccupied with the sacrifice of the ground forces than the sacrifice of Mount Fuji. Yeah, I was also curious about that, <laughs> um, of all the Sakurajite and stuff. Right, of how symbolic it is, right? I mean, I, I think we remarked upon before, especially when Mount Fuji was featured more prominently uh, in various scenes uh, in, uh, in in season one, that you know it's it's a symbol of Japan. It's often featured that way, um, and to have Lelouch employ it as a weapon against the Black Knights uh, feels like a real commentary on something, and no one really remarks upon it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You're right. I had that same thought. I I was curious if there was something to that. I don't know. I wondered if this was like um. Like uh, what was that movie? Uh, twenty was it twenty twelve when uh the 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 like world was cracking open or something like that? Oh yeah, like the, the one, well, it's a, it's a, is that is that one of the Rock movies? Yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I don't actually remember if he's okay. in it, but or was that um, the John wondered, Cusack one? Actually, <laughs> that might be John Cusack one. Well, the point I was getting at is, I wondered if this was one of those situations where like you're so used to a landmark that when it gets blown up, there's like a novelty to it. So maybe he was like, whoa, cool. <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I, I also thought this was odd that he was like, uh, he, he sacrifices his ground forces. What mm-hmm. a scoundrel. Like, dude, the, these people who you're fighting and killing are the same people you were fighting and killing like last week when you were cool with fighting. They're just Britannians, right? Like, you know, and I'm not saying that to be like, oh, they're, they're absolutely not victims of the looch. They are. But like, these were also people who did like volunteered for their world cleansing you know i listen 
I get that when you get into the weeds of like discussing like, oh, not everybody who fought in the German army were Nazi. Like, I, like listen, I, I don't want to get into all that with Kudkius because it doesn't it doesn't care. It's not that interested in the individual motivations of the Britannian citizenry. It, I think it's safe to assume that people who were in the army were in it because they believed in the thing. It seemed like all the leaders were right. Mm -hmm, And they seemed extremely willing to shoot and kill women and children. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying that it's 100% cool for all of these soldiers to die in the way that they do while Gius by Lelouch in the same way that I'm not necessarily saying it's cool that, uh, Lelouch Gius, all of his rich family members and made them into janitors, but that is pretty cool. That's pretty cool and funny. I mean, I remember some of those characters being pretty shitty, so... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool that he did that, um, but it's not cool that they're dead now, because... or I mean, assuming that they were in Pendra, I assume that they were. I think it's a reasonable assumption now, yeah. Because Schneisel, now that Schneisel's killed them, they can't be something other than Janitor, or Nice now, in a way that if they were un they could possibly be, you know? And we know that un is possible, that, that this is a thing that can be done. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll make, it, I'll make a call. I I have to wonder, because we, we love eye stuff. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We know, they mention in one of these episodes, uh, well, they mention the subject of Anya getting her memories back. Right. Um, We don't explicitly talk about Nunnally getting her memories back. But we do have a character on the stage who can do that at the flip of a switch. Right, that's which true. Which is Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. I'd like for that to happen. That would be something. That'd be cool. Yeah. Because then wouldn't her eyesight come back? Because she's not blind, right? She's Isn't not it, blind, like a somatic? yeah. She just, I, think she, I guess the idea is that she's given, given false memories to believe that she is uh, psychosomatically blind. Yeah, physically blind. And the right. other thing... The other thing that's going on that we haven't really mentioned because we don't really know any specifics for it is that Nina and Lloyd are doing some science. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, with Nina, my guess is that it's a Flea response of some kind. Yeah. It, 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 either anti-Flea or counter-Flea, something. Like we saw some duders poking the Flea with some with some stuff and it seemed like they were trying to do something i, but. I, I imagine that was just outright sacrifice right right we're, we're, oh maybe yeah i thought i thought they were just sacking well because it seemed like because what what schneisel was saying is that once it's fired in this case because he's removed the limiters or something like that mm-hmm. it's already critical i think what they were trying to do is destroy the canister before whatever mm-hmm. like chemical reaction could because i bet you i i don't know for bombs but i bet you if you if you destroy them before whatever is supposed to happen happens then they don't Sure, yeah, there could be the some same kind of, way. Yeah, some kind of reaction or something, yeah. So I think then that is pretty much it for 23. Um, 23 is leaving off at the, the second end of this battle. The um the next episode preview is pretty, you know, the last one is is was focused on Nunnally, right? Mm. And the sort of revelation of, of Nunnally being back. And this one is like Oh, you know, I thought with Suzaku at my side, I would be invincible, but Scheisel is a terrifying opponent. Um, and he's hinting that whatever he's going to do to defeat Scheisel has something to do in it with his heart. And I'm yeah. very curious about that. I'm very curious what Scheisel cares about as well. Um, I, I, I hope it's canon. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I hope so, it's canon. Let's find out. Yeah, I just, I, uh, 
I don't know. I, I I don't know what I would like hope from in this show necessarily. Uh, I would hope that the Black Knights separate themselves from Schneidzel in some meaningful way. That would be nice. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. You will catch us next week where we will finish out Code ESR2. It'll be the last episode of direct one-to-one coverage. And then after that, we will be doing our post-mortem. Uh, and on that note, then, I was one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox. DMC Trilogy. And you can catch us next time when we're going to be trying to shoot off all the players. We're just going to run out. We're just going fireworks. So I'm gonna get my intro set It's me, Slyrek, the dragon. This is my Tony Todd voice. <clears throat> Welcome to Mechanations. Uh, criti- no, wait, hold on. I'm gonna give myself some more space between that Tony Todd voice. <laughs> That's probably good for you. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. What? Why? Why is my spouse posting about black licorice in the food channel on my in the stream discord? What is I going on? I have no on? idea. All right, that got out of hand. I can't. I can't deal with that right now. What is now. happening? I don't. That's what the fuck. Yeah, I don't. I mean, look, I like licorice. I'm not. I'm not one of those anti licorice people. Anise is I fine, am. but um, for that, that's maybe too much. Too much too quickly. I am anti licorice. I post myself against licorice position wise, P- politically. I de- I denounce all licorice. <laughs> I will I will ask reality to delete licorice and we will never speak of it again that one time we deleted licorice from reality yeah that one time <laughs>